from the crypt. What's up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here in a hotel room in Miami, Florida at the North American Shitcoin Conference, uh, escaping from the floor to come have a conversation in the room with somebody who I'm very excited to speak with. We've had ongoing conversations for the last, what, year? Two years? Year. Year. Um, Bitcoin Tina, also known as Richard. He's one of the most animated people I've ever met in this space, and I think you freaks are going to love this conversation. Richard, let's jump into your past. How did you find Bitcoin? It's a Tales from the Crypt. Okay. How did you get into Bitcoin? First time I came across Bitcoin, I was at a conference. Trace Mayer was speaking. I thought it sounded really interesting. I was really excited by it. The guy was running the conference, basically said, well, you know, I'm not sure, and <laughs> don't think too much of it, <laughs> and a lot of respect for this guy. And I put it out of my mind like an idiot. When and was this? I, four years ago, okay. uh, tw- uh, 2014. Okay. It's a Stansbury conference. Okay. Porter Stansbury. What's that? Pissed all over it. <laughs> <laughs> so Trace was explaining. You did, not catch, you did not catch the bug this time around? I was really interested. And I talked to Trace for a long time uh, after his presentation. I thought Trace was really smart. I really liked listening to him. I really... That was the only time I've met Trace, and I was really impressed. He was telling me a lot about telomeres. He's very, int- very interested in. You know what telomeres are? I think I'm saying this right. Telomeres, if telomeres are like g- on your genes. They're uh, you, 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 you grow older because your genes are not replicating your body properly. I, I'm gonna mess this up, so I'm not. But he was very interested in that. Wait, like genes form fitting to your body affects your no, health. No, your DNA. Your DNA. Your DNA. Interesting. That's what I because. I did, ha- I did have a biology sort of bell go off in my head when you said that for the yeah. first time. It's, it's biological. But I, I'm really going into an area that I don't know anything about. So, I mean, I talk about things that I don't know about anyway, but here this, this is what this too, too This is far. what this podcast is. I know. We're talking about something and we're just exploring it, you know? You no, know, I like your podcast a lot. You've got some really good guests. One of my ultimate favorite guests is Dan Held. I really like Dan. I know. I think Dan is really smart. I'm he a, is? I'm a huge fan. He's been putting out some good content, too. Dan Held is really smart. I'm a huge fan. Shout out, Dan. Yeah, shout out, Dan. Shout out, Picks and Shovels. Go check out Picks and Co. I, and, and, I, and I had nice, uh, nice discussion with his partner, too. On, uh, Clark? Yeah. Yeah. Or a lot of respect for also. Yeah, two good dudes fighting the good fight. Um, Dan, yeah, th- so Dan and I talked a lot about narratives. Um, you are somebody who believes Bitcoin narratives and some metrics and other things may be a little off right now and you have some very strong opinions i want to get into all of them first all right you're you met trace in 2014 you're very interested but you said there was a lull what happened i don't know why i didn't pay attention i sort of forgot about it um came across it again briefly in 2015 didn't do anything about it and then somehow caught my attention in 2017 price was moving got really interested, started do, doing a lot of work on it. Didn't buy my first Bitcoin till late September, early October 2017. Bought some. Uh, been buying in 2018. My average price is higher than it is now, more than 2x where it is now. It's 3600 is more than 2x. Um, I came to a conclusion post the crash from six to 3,000. I started to understand that Bitcoin's... 20,000? No, oh, no. Post, six, po- six the, the the crash from six thousand to three thousand. Oh, I thought you said sixty three thousand. No, 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 no. The po- the crash from six thousand to three thousand. I came to the conclusion that extreme bull and extreme bear markets are a feature of Bitcoin, not a bug. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Price is the primary means of adoption. And I think that prices is why people get into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's really the, the primary reason. At the end of the day, Bitcoin is really interesting because unlike gold, which needs the world to come to an end, and all the gold bugs say the world basically has to come to an end, and they give you a reason for it, and they give you a lot of cockamamie stories. And I used to own gold, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But Bitcoin doesn't need the world to come to an end. In fact, the optimal case for Bitcoin monetization and ultimately hyper-Bitcoinization, in my opinion, the optimal case is a flat stock market for the next 10 years because that is a source of liquidity. The world's not coming to an end, and then people will look for return. And because of Bitcoin's innate positive feedback loop, because of scarcity, which people don't understand, people do not understand scarcity at all. What don't people understand about scarcity? They've never dealt with it. What do you mean? We don't have anything that's scarce. Right. Michael... Goldstein uh, was talking about this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. People misunderstand scarcity, too. How do they misunderstand it? It has to be a demanded good. Oh, of course. Certain, yeah, it does have to be demanded good. No, no doubt about it, but I'm assuming. People, people focus too much on supply and not about supply of a scarce good and not, not about um, the demand for it. Well, right. If there's a lot of something that nobody wants, then it doesn't really – it's yeah. not really that helpful. But um, – Bitcoin creates a positive feedback loop because once you make that leap into becoming money, then people start to think about it differently. And they still don't understand it yet as money. That's a, that's a process mm-hmm. that price ultimately gets you into. But in the stock market, when a particular sector is doing really well, investment banks bring out a lot more securities and they saturate the market. So we don't really have experience with scarcity. We think we do, but we don't. There's always lots of new supply. With Bitcoin, the Wall Streeters think that uh, forks are the same as Bitcoin, but the forks aren't the same as Bitcoin. This is a really hard concept for people to understand. But I'll start off with the question, why Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. And why Bitcoin relates to the fact that here's something that I imagine in my head and I actually heard a story similar to this not that long ago from somebody here's the story I imagine in my head so you're in your mid 60s in 2008 and you worked hard your whole life Mm -hmm. and you've done all the right things you saved your money you worked hard and you put away a chunk of money you're an average guy you put away maybe $250,000 maybe you're lucky you put away half a million dollars you have a home nice home middle-class America. And those numbers are just thrown out. It, it, it doesn't really matter what the numbers were, but you planned on retiring, and you were going to retire on your Social Security because you probably didn't have a pension plan, which was a defined benefit plan. You probably had a uh, defined contribution plan or an IRA. So you're going to retire on that money plus your Social Security. And your plan was, I'm going to make 5% on my money, and I'm going to uh, live on that plus my Social Security. And what's happened to you since 2008 is that little by little, you dip into that money and you slice away at it like the chocolate cake that's sitting in your refrigerator that you don't plan on eating. And you go back to the refrigerator mm-hmm. 17 times and it starts with a nice, nice, healthy piece of chocolate cake. And you take sliver after sliver 
and you go back a little bit later and there's no chocolate cake left and that's what's happened to people's savings mm -hmm. there's no chocolate cake left and that's a problem and it's a really big problem and it is the root of a lot of the social anger that we see everywhere as expressed through all kinds of different social movements because people know they're angry they feel that there's something really unfair out there they don't quite know what it is I first came across this whole idea a long time ago. I was reading a piece uh, in something called the Gloom, Boom, and Doom Report by Mark, Mark Faber. Mm -hmm. And Mark Faber was talking about Weimar Germany. And what's interesting about Weimar Germany was that you had people who were middle class people. And back then, in order to get married, you had a dowry for your daughter to get married. Mm -hmm. But because middle class people who didn't necessarily have a business, they didn't necessarily have of farmland. They didn't have gold or dollars. Dollars did okay in Weimar. Uh, it was uh, the German currency that didn't do well. They didn't have foreign currency. I actually think it was made illegal, but I'm not sure. So they were wiped out. So their daughters didn't get married. Mm -hmm. And you had things which ripped apart the social fabric of society. And you saw it really fast in Weimar because it happened really fast. But yet it can happen more slowly, too. And I think we see it happening here. I think we see it happening around the world. I think that's why you have the, the yellow vest movement. Um, I don't know the correct French term for it. Jus something. Yes. Um, I, I don't know what it I is. I couldn't tell you either. But I'm not going to do it because I don't speak French. And I'll just sound like Je ne comprends français either. But I'm going to interject here. This is why I wanted to bring you on because you're uh, an older Bitcoiner. You've seen a lot. I'm sure your peers are some of them at least, may be experiencing the scenario that you just described. No, I know mostly richer guys. I okay. don't know that many guys that are... I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't really... Strong flex. What's that? Strong flex. Good flex there. It's a millennial term. Don't worry oh. about it. No, but I'm interested. Like, you're talking about this strength. Like, well, I know... I, I just know my grandmother in particular. She had this idea. She retired at 65, and I know she has worries and stuff. Well, here, here's what I think. And what I think is that these people are up at 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the morning. And this is when your deep fears overtake you. And you start thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? I'm going to run out of money. And people are damn scared. These people are also historically, in my opinion, this is just my conjecture. Can I prove it? No, I can't prove it. A lot of things in life you can't actually prove, but you know they're true. And here's what I think. These people are historically the bedrock of their families. What do I mean by that? It means that if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, you need a little extra money because there's something that's important to you that you want to do, but you can't quite make ends meet on it. You go to grandma, grandpa, said, can you lend me 1000 bucks? Can you lend me 2000 bucks?" And generally, they're going to say, yes, they can, because they're able to. And in years past, they could have. But now they say to themselves, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll try to help you. But you know they can't do it. Maybe they've told you their issues, their problems. Maybe they haven't. But you kind of figure it out. Their kids, the same thing. They need to fix something in the house. They need some emergency money. Stuff happens in life. And people need a little extra help. Who do they go to? They go to family. And that's gradually dwindling, dwindling away. And this creates enormous social anger. People get it. People understand. And we have dishonest money. And I like to call it dishonest money. I don't like to call it anything else. And why do I call it dishonest money? Because it steals from you every goddamn day. 
let's jump into this. Let's define dishonest well, money here. I got a very simple. I'm going to give you a choice. You can hold three different things, a choice of one of three different things for the next 20 years. I used to make it 10 years, but there were some people who <laughs> that wasn't quite long enough for them. So You high time preference we'll, freak. Well, low time, <laughs> low time preference. 10 years is very high time oh, preference. Oh, time, high time preference. Well, it depends on how old you are. Um, if you're going to hold a million dollars or some large amount of money, and you can hold it three different ways. One of three different ways. You can't trade it. You can't sell it. You can't spend it. You have to hold it for a long, for 20 years. I'll give you a choice. Cash or some cash-like instrument. So it can be treasury bills. It can be money markets. It's essentially cash. The S&P 500. And then gold. Just why not gold? What do you pick of those three? Gold. Okay, fine. You don't pick cash. And the important answer is you don't pick cash. And nobody picks cash Mm -hmm. unless they're really stupid and they pick cash. But they don't pick cash because they know for certainty the cash will be worth less. You don't know where gold will be. You don't know where the S&P will be in 20 years. You're nearly certain cash will buy you less. And that's what I mean. It steals from you every day. You know that you don't want to hold cash. And that's critical. So we have a problem. There's a real problem. It exists. Why Bitcoin? Bitcoin ultimately, in my opinion, will be the answer to that because it's not dishonest money. It's money which in time will enable you to save in that money and it will accrete global value of production when it becomes the one and only money. Now, it's a process and you probably break it up into three parts. You probably break it up in a process of monetization, hyper-Bitcoinization, and ultimately when it becomes... Stable. essentially the one and only money. And and so a lot of the confusions you get with people is you hear critics say, well, it can't be money. It can't be currency now. It can't be used for spending. Of course it can't be. <laughs> you couldn't uh, you couldn't send YouTubes on the internet in 1993 either. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean you wouldn't you wouldn't get somewhere. But in the, and that's also like a just like a small tell by individuals of just like the misunderstanding of money like to, to think that we're going to create a new monetary good and not expect it to be volatile and take a while to accrue to become a suitable monetary good is just asinine like the lack of patience in this world in particular you sure, surely heard this on this podcast and in the newsletter that's my biggest gripe like and it, it is probably an immaculation of the conspicuous consumption mentality that people have where it's like ah, we need it to be money now like it needs to be faster faster um but people don't know what money is. Yeah. People don't understand money. I went to really top business schools, and they don't talk about money in top business schools. I'm pretty sure they don't talk about money in top economics classes either. I was they an economics major. I had one money in banking class. That's it. Yeah, no, no. You had a money in banking class. So you talked about credit instruments. Mm-hmm. The money we use today is not money. It's credit. It's difference. Credit is... Somebody else's liability. Money is not. I argue that cash dollars are essentially time zero treasury bills. Mm-hmm. Treasury bill is just uh, it's cash that's going to pay you a little something until it becomes cash. But it's essentially cash. In fact, years ago, I've seen pictures of this. Even I'm not old enough for this. But years ago, they actually made um, treasury bills... You know, ever you probably you've heard the term clipping coupons, right? Mm-hmm. You know why they call them clipping coupons? No. 
I assume because you clipped them out of the paper. Because scissors. you had a bond. Because you had a bond issuance with coupons attached. You literally clipped the coupons. That's why they call them clipping coupons. Okay. And so y- I've seen pictures of of treasury notes. Probably I don't know if it was bills because bills were always shorter and instruments were usually sold at a discount, but with coupons attached and you'd clip them off. You literally clip them off. And hand them Those out. You would hand them out. They're your, they're, they're your payment. Yeah. You'd trade, the, hand them into the bank, and they would redeem them. So you might have various uh, various bonds that you might have, and you would clip the coupon, and then you would redeem it at your financial institution, and you the the uh, the borrower would uh, redeem your your coupon. Interesting. I never knew that. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's not that long ago. You could have you could have gotten muni bonds. Imagine the security risk there. People are worried about holding their Bitcoin on hardware wallets. Imagine having a lot of your People money. People had bearer bonds, and and in Europe they had bearer bonds up until much more recently. Bearer bonds are actually not that they're not that old. People could have had bearer bonds. I don't know when they stopped issuing them. They stopped issuing bearer bonds sometime maybe in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember exactly, but bearer bonds were very common. People had bearer bonds for years. And a bearer bond was literally that. You, you, if, if you didn't hold the bond, just like if you don't hold your keys, not your keys, this is really more like cash. You don't hold your cash, not your cash. You right. don't hold your gold, not your gold. Right. Um, it's not that long ago. Which, by the way, is an interesting thing. I'll give you a little interesting conversation. I was talking with, I had owned some gold, which I sold. And I was talking to the security guard there. And he was Bronx cop, a few years older than me. And he was trying to explain to a guy who worked at this place what about Bitcoin. He didn't really understand Bitcoin, but this is what he did understand. He said, when I was a kid growing up, my mom used to pay the electric bill with just scooping up pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters and carry it over to the electric company. He said it could have been before. He said it could have been before he was born, but he kind of remembers it. And then you had checks and then you had credit cards and you know now we have Venmo and Zelle. And we've, got, we've been going through payment systems for a long time, I actually covered credit cards briefly uh, a number of years ago and did a little report on it uh, in grad school and covered credit cards. But we've been going through various different payment systems. So what's really interesting is that Bitcoin seems weird and bizarre to so many people, but it's actually for guys your age, you're really stepping off the sidewalk curb. It's not such a big deal because as the technology changes and as it becomes easier and as you have these wallets which become easier like Samurai Wallet and Wasabi Wallet and all these other wallets and the technology gets better, these things become easier. What's the big difference between a Samurai Wallet and your uh, and your Venmo? Not, I mean, hopefully not much. When the UX improves, it'll be a very seamless experience, very similar. That won't take that long. Uh, here's sort of a tangential question that I want to ask you and I'm curious about. I've been thinking about this in my mind uh, a lot lately is a lot of people would con- attribute the massive leaps in technological capabilities and growth of our economy to uh, unsound to the monetary system that we currently live under. I would argue that a lot of the innovations happen in spite uh, just because of technological innovations making everything more efficient and allowing us to build more things but some people would argue that monetary policy sort of enabling uh people to get easy credit 
has given us the world that we live in today. And no, people I, I would disagree with that. You basically... I do too, but I just want to hear why you, you did. Well, you basically had a lot of mistakes which were made in the 60s and 70s with monetary policy. Mm-hmm. And so you know, people, people have a weird perception on inflation. Nixon imposed wage and price controls, and I'm pretty sure, but not positive. So somebody, I'm sure, will check fact me on this. I said something on another program, and they checked me, and they said I had the wrong year. It was a Motorola flip phone, and I actually looked today. <laughs> and they said I couldn't have had it. It started in 1993. And I actually that StarTac, which was actually 96, but I said flip phone. I don't know if they call it a flip phone. In my head, it was a flip phone. It looked like a Star Trek communicator. And uh, I think I got it in 92. Mm-hmm. The guy said, oh, we couldn't have had it. It was, didn't come out until 93. And I looked, and the thing that I think I had was in 92. But um, people love to nitpick. And really, <laughs> sometimes being exact is not the most critical to getting an idea or a point across. I would agree. Um, so they screwed up the, the monetary policy, and we wound up having very high rates in uh, the late 70s into the early 80s, about 1980-ish. Paul Volcker was appointed by Jimmy Carter. Paul Volcker strangled the economy, very, very high rates. Paul Volcker actually, I believe, had a Secret Service detail because he was threatened. I think they burned him in effigy. Not positive about this, but I think that was the he case. He pushed him up to what? Like above 11%, right? Oh, well above 11%. Like 18%, right? Uh, I don't know how high 30-year paper got. Um, 30-year paper could have been... 15, 16, 17%. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember. You can probably, you can look. Uh, they're you can probably, go they're on probably Fred website and find it. Yeah, of course you can find it. You can go on a Fed website and figure it out. Um, and the front end of the curve was higher. They probably inverted the curve. I don't really remember. I could go back and look at it, but I know they were much higher. And so you've basically been on a downward trajectory for. 38, 39 years, yeah. 40 years. And not only a downward trajectory, but much like some people believe Bitcoin's price appreciation moves in a fractal, it's like these interest rates have been moving down in a fractal, fractal too. They'll, they'll lower them significantly. Uh, they'll get to a point where they're like, all right, we can we can uh, raise them again, and then they'll never be able to like raise them uh, above a certain point after a certain extent. So like it'll go from... It's hypothetically, these numbers aren't exact, like we've been saying, like 11 to 7, back up to 9, down to 3, back up to 6, down to 0. Now we're trying to get back to 3. Well, you can't just use the word interest rates because there are all kinds of interest rates. Mm-hmm. So you've got to kind of be a little more specific. Fed funds rate. Fed funds rate. Okay. Um, I, I think it, it's interesting because you hear people on CNBC make comments when they're trying to be flip about something saying, well, way back when, my rates were X, Y, Z, 6% rates. And so I don't see these rates as being any, such a big deal. But I always find that that kind of comment was, is, is just silly because you're not looking at the size of the debt that you're multiplying the rates times to get your interest expense. And so you can't simply look at interest rates themselves. You have to look at you know what your interest cost is. And one of the problems is that what they've done over the years is by lowering the rates, you've kept the interest cost low. And so gradually, the rates have been growing larger and larger. But here's where I disagree with a lot of people. I don't actually agree that federal debt has to be paid off. I think that's fundamentally a flaw. 
Why is this? I fundamentally think it's just ne- not going to be possible to pay it all off. No, no, that's 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 really the wrong way to look at it. Life, the life cycle of a country, the life cycle of a human, the life cycle of a corporation are not the same thing, and they can't be compared. And when people compare them, they're actually making serious flaws in analysis. And so when you say, oh, the country should have no debt, that's just ridiculous and absurd. There's, it depends on, the real issue is what you're spending the debt on. Are you spending the debt on something which is productive debt, or are you spending the debt on consumption items? So really, it really makes a difference. If you're spending the debt, if you're spending money which becomes debt on an investment item which is going to grow your economy at a later date, that's not a bad use of debt at all. Uh, it can be a very, very good use of debt. If you're spending on a consumption item and that's growing out of control, that's a separate issue. And so people often are very sloppy in the way they have these discussions. And so they'll throw it out as a general principle. And as a general principle, it's garbage. People are very sloppy in their analysis. People are very sloppy in the way they talk about these things. And so, Am I sloppy, Richard? No, you're actually really good. Thank you. Yeah, But I- it's important not to be sloppy like that because when we, we try to analyze things, we try to think about things, it's our money we're talking about. We tr- want to try to be, want to try to get the right understanding. And uh, there's, there's a lot of fear-mongering right now that's going on in Bitcoin, I find. And they serve a useful purpose. The guys who are trying to fear-monger, trying to drive the price down, either because they're short themselves, they want to drive the price down, or fear-mongering. That helps to create a bottom. Any particular fear-mongering? I don't want to talk about any particular fear-mongering. Okay. But there are people out there who you know, have these crazy prices that they set, that they give a lot of explanations for. And we have a very young group of people in, in Bitcoin. I mean, for the most part, look, I'm much older. I'm more than twice your age. A lot of young people. I've seen a lot of markets over a long, long time. Is it encouraging? It's what encouraging? That there's a lot of young people enthusiasts. Do oh, you find really that encouraging? I'm, I'm really optimistic. I'm, I was actually really negative and really pessimistic on the world uh, until I understood and found Bitcoin. I actually thought that we're headed for some problems which would lead to catastrophic outcome. And actually, the thing that I love about Bitcoin is that I can see a hyper-Bitcoinization ultimately where even the people who have dragged their feet the most and are the most stubborn about finally buying in can kind of be okay. And even if they're very wealthy and they potentially lose uh, some of their money, I I ultimately believe that you're going to pretty much destroy the bond market. Uh, Not because any outside activity will destroy it, but because holders of debt instruments will ultimately sell their bonds to buy Bitcoin. And you'll see a cascade out of out of these bonds. A uh, the guy I was talking to the other day added, and I think he could be right. You, you could have a Fed response with attempts to prop things up, and that could help to make Bitcoin explode even higher in the process. And I think that's reasonable. It gets really hard to know how things are going to work out because we have no idea how things are going to work out. But you can try to think about... I love to do thought experiments. I like to think... You know, what would things look like under given scenarios and try to understand how things are. And I remember many years ago, a very smart investor said to me when I was working briefly on Wall Street, um, I was a young analyst, and this guy said, it's better to get something approximately right than precisely wrong. (laughs) I like that. He was talking about analysts who focused so heavily 
on getting the right earnings, the right down to the penny, that he thought that was just a big mistake. He says that's not how stock prices go up. Stock prices don't go up because you get the earnings to the penny. Stock prices go up because you get the bigger trends right. I love the bigger trend in Bitcoin. I'm incredibly bullish on it. I'm one of the most bullish people I know. You're Um, you're one of the most bullish people I know. And I'm as bullish as I am because I've made a lot of mistakes. And in the process of making a lot of mistakes, I've learned a lot of lessons. In 1989, I was using Word and Excel. And I remember having an argument with a friend of mine. Well, let me let me backtrack. I got my first computer. It was a an IBM PC. Mm-hmm. How many RAM do you think that computer had? It was 1982. Megabytes. <laughs> How many? How much? 64k of RAM. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, and 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 how about my hard drive? How big was that? I don't know. I had two floppy disk drives. <laughs> they were five and a quarter inch. I'm old three, enough to remember qu- cu- uh, floppy disks. Three. You you remember you remember the blue ones, the three and a half inch. These yes. Were, these were five. Oh, you're these talking were about five the big and a quarters, like, and they were bigger before that. They're like records, they're like, right? Like they were like eight sleeves. inches before that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they were on computers. I think they might have been used in word processors, like Wang word processors. I'm not sure. I never had a Wang word processor. Uh, it was <laughs> 1982 at an IBM PC, and. Uh, First program I got was WordStar. It had two floppy disk drives, 360K each. And I got, I found out about this thing called a quad card. I was really excited about the quad card. It would add 256K of RAM to my 64K computer. And the first thing I did was I erased WordStar. It was so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Star.star erase. What an idiot. (laughs) It was really stupid. Why was it stupid? Because I erased my program, I erased oh. my, my word processing program. WordStar was the word. Pro- it was a crappy word processor. You built it? No, I didn't build oh. the word processor. No, I bought it. It was a, it was a software program. <laughs> and 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 what's interesting is, you know, th- I was never a one of the. You know, I was. You, you could tell I erased my my software, so I was not that good at computers. I'm still, you know, but so good. But. Um, the early guys, the, the really early guys, I was discussing this the other day on somebody else's show, the really early guys were building Heathkit computers in the mid-70s. They were building their own computers and doing really crazy stuff. And I think Waz did that, although I'm not sure. Uh, Vortex seemed to think that that was the case. Wouldn't surprise me. And um, so the Apple II, I think, was in 1977. So I wasn't super early, but I... I've always typically been a very early mainstream adopter. So <clears throat> I lived through this process. This was 1982, got the first computer, and then went through a series of upgrades. 286, 386, 486, Pentium, and I can't remember what was when. It's impossible to remember that. I don't remember when I got the first hard drive or how big it was. <coughs> Water? No, I just got a cough. Oh, you're fine. Um, 1989. I was using Word, and I was using Excel, which I liked much better than Lotus 1, 2, 3, or WordPerfect. Did you ever hear of Lotus 1, 2, 3, or WordPerfect? Nope. Lotus 1, 2, 3 was a, a killer app. Before Lotus 1, 2, 3 was something called VisiCalc. It was a spreadsheet program, mm-hmm. like Excel, except it was uh, was no GUI. You did everything with uh, 
function keys and hmm? everything in like matrices and stuff like that or no 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 it was function keys it, it, it was not it wasn't it's probably the way you use linux I don't, I don't use linux so i don't know but it's it was not it was not a it was not a gui based program it wasn't wasn't that easy to use mm-hmm. but people loved it they wrote macros for it but it was still not that easy to use and my friend was telling me he loved lotus 1 2 3 and word perfect i said i use i use excel and i use word and i like them better and i didn't buy word i didn't buy microsoft now the real reason microsoft went up was not because of word and excel the real reason microsoft went up is because windows became the Wintel platform wound up everybody built applications for Wintel and so if you thought of it like a, a giant river um, all the tributaries and, and all the all the little all the little feeders into that river Wintel became you know the mighty Amazon mm-hmm. with all the other small it really had nothing to do with uh, with Excel or Word. But the interesting thing, I didn't buy Microsoft at the time. Microsoft was at 20 times earnings. <coughs> and maybe, <coughs> going back to that rate discussion, rates were probably 8 or 9% back then. So Microsoft looked expensive. And between 1989 and 2000, it could have gone up anywhere from 100 to 200 times. <laughs> Which doesn't suck. No, not at all. Um, That's a good long-term play. In the early 90s, I had a Dell laptop. I didn't buy Dell stock. The Dell laptop was, was really pretty good. It was a pretty good laptop. The first, the first portable computer I saw was called an Osborne. And Osborne looked like a lawyer's briefcase. Mm-hmm. It was this very large, clunky thing. And then the first portable computer was a compact and uh, I don't know when they first had laptops but this was still pretty early and I didn't buy I didn't buy uh, Dell I should have it's a mistake not to that did Dell was one of the best performing stocks in the 90s you know it's really interesting because jump ahead here for a second in the 90s I was pretty negative on tech stocks which is a very big mistake tech stocks did phenomenally well and I know Bitcoiners think they understand really excited markets because we saw a few in Bitcoin in the last few years. They have no understanding of what markets are really like when they're really crazy. Why do you Nobody, say that? Because last the, year wasn't anything like? Because the because the 90s blows away everything that we've ever seen. The, the, the period from 1995-ish, 96, tech stocks, NASDAQ, blows away any market that we've seen since before since it was an amazing market people were crazy for it it just went on and it went on and it went on it had some ble- brief interruptions but the there was a lot of retail trading these markets we've been in markets ever since which have been very much very pushed by the fed that market wasn't so much pushed by the fed but wasn't held back by the fed mm-hmm. in 1996 greenspan uttered the words irrational exuberance and then didn't do anything about it. He probably should have. It was probably a really big mistake that he made. That was probably the time that people can point to that said he made a really big mistake. We took rates down, by the way, in the late 80s, <coughs> 89 into like 92 from approximately 9% to 3%. Dropped like 600 basis points. And 
he uttered the word irrational exuberance in 96. The market had a hiccup, and then he did nothing, and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. But markets were really crazy, and we wound up – that period was just an absolutely amazing period in the stock market. And we're going to see that in Bitcoin. We haven't seen it yet. And when we see it in Bitcoin, it's going to be beyond amazing because in the stock market, investment bankers can create new, new stocks – and they, they bring new companies public, and so there's no scarcity. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Bitcoin, and this is very hard for Wall Streeters to understand because they look at forks and they think, that, they think that a fork is just more Bitcoin. So you, you fork it and you have Bitcoin, then you have Bitcoin Cash. Instead of having 21 million Bitcoin, now you have 42 million Bitcoin. And they don't understand why it's not the same thing. And that's very hard for people to understand when they come to it from the perspective of equities mm-hmm. and they learned about diversification and they learn about all the things that you learn in finance but money is not equities and that's a really hard concept for people to get and understand and that's a that's a discussion we have in a little bit but not yet yeah well money is not equities and then again also these protocols where we're talking about bitcoin specifically like you can't be treated as like startups either no, they're not. Well, here, I, here's how I... I have a simple definition for Bitcoin. I actually worked hard on this. People like this. Bitcoin is a protocol built for a social consensus. I like that. That's my definition of Bitcoin. That makes sense. And people don't really understand social consensus. It's really a hard thing to understand. It takes a really long while. People live with social consensus. They operate with it, but they don't really understand. There are a lot of things which are very hardcore social consensus. Let's point out some examples. Adultery. Adultery. It's not social consensus to, to, to be married and to oh. commit adultery. Social consensus is you can be very, very rich, but it's not acceptable. Social consensus is if you're married, you don't, you don't do that. That's yes. just an example. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But it's social consensus. Mm-hmm. It probably became a Ten Commandment because it was social exactly. consensus. Exactly. So social consensus has been around for a millennia. It's been around probably from the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. I'm not that smart. But there are things that we agree upon, things you can do and can't do. The Ten Commandments are a list of things which are social consensus. Yeah, outside of the first three, like uh, every everything else is like, hey, just be good to your neighbor. Don't cheat on your wife. Whatever it Don't is. kill anybody. Yeah, killing people's not good. <laughs> um, what are the first three commands? I know this is a, is a good Catholic, but I'm not a, the best Catholic, so I think it's don't take the Lord's name in vain. Respect the Sabbath. And don't ever trust another God. I think that's it. I don't know. I'm not going to go into this because I... I, I I don't want to get anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> These are things that I can look up. <laughs> I can look them up, too. I should know them off the top I, of my head. I, 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 sh- I probably should have them memorized, too, but I don't. I plenty them. of years of Catholic school that I should know. So what else? We got Those are some social consensus. So why, why is Bitcoin a social consensus? Because there's a, there's a social consensus around the idea that I started with, that your money shouldn't steal from you. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> We 
don't fully have that, but people understand that it's wrong and it's a problem. And so what do we do? We look, we look for store of value in other things. We look for store of value in stocks. We look for store of value in bonds. We look for store of value in, uh, in art. We look for store of value in real estate. We look for store of value in gold. <coughs> but really where store of value belongs is in money. And money is a really hard topic because there's there's a lot to it and it's trying to understand money which is critical to understanding bitcoin and the qualities that make a money a good money so for instance gold in my opinion can never be a good money because of divisibility and portability or something else those are pretty much those are the main things yeah mm-hmm. because it's not extensible and it's not portable so it necessarily centralizes you can't I, I argue that paper claims was the technological solution to extensibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you know yeah, what I mean by that? Yeah. Makes total sense, yeah. So you, you, you deposit gold at a bank and so that you can go buy smaller things that you can buy with a, a fraction of an ounce of gold, you're issued a note. Instead and that's your paper claim. Instead of having to chip off a piece of gold at the cash register, you got, you got this paper to exchange. <laughs> We used silver for that, but the silver isn't really as good. Being able to have a technological solution of paper claims, you don't need silver. That eliminates the need for silver. The problem with paper claims is that people will always cheat. So it's been said with regard to OPEC, for instance, and again, I don't want to get into a topic. I don't know a lot about this. I'm sure that people know much, much more about this than I do. But with OPEC, OPEC worked for a really long time, but then for a lot of reasons, you wound up having OPEC members that cheated. And so the price of oil came down quite substantially. It's Thank God. human nature and human, human tendency to cheat. It's human nature and human tendency to try to get away with something. Mm-hmm. And so we do. We do because we can. And so you'd have runs on institutions simply because of human nature. And Bitcoin is a protocol which enables us to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Trace Mayer has said that potentially in the event that Wall Street tries to create paper claims, you could hard fork it. And um, even if even if most people went with the Wall Street hard fork, which had built-in inflation, the people who would go, you know, even if it was 85, 15, let's say the reverse of the UASF, mm-hmm. um, the people who picked the non-inflationary Bitcoin would ultimately do much better. They'd be able to buy more Bitcoin. They'd sell their inflationary Bitcoin, and they'd, they'd own more on the non-inflationary Bitcoin chain. And in time, that would be the better Bitcoin to own because – Diluted Bitcoin isn't going to go up as much as non-diluted Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that gets back to the issue of scarcity. And I think what we're going to end up seeing at some point in the future with regard to scarcity is in some bull market, I don't know if it's the next bull market or the bull market after that, I believe we're going to find people who trade Bitcoin are going to wind up owning much less Bitcoin than they think they're going to own by trading. Because Bitcoin's going to get away from them. And we saw this in the 90s. We saw this people trading stocks. And 
with so many stocks in the 90s, if you picked right and you picked well, you did so much better holding most of them than you did trading them. Trading is really, really, really hard. Because it's it's very hard to figure out what the crowd is going to do at any one time or any one moment. And people think they can outsmart it, and often they can't really outsmart it. The best thing you could have done if you bought Berkshire Hathaway is just held it. Mm-hmm. I know a guy whose newsletter I used to read who talked all the time about he bought it for $70 and the 70s and he doubled his money and he sold it. <laughs> Is that time, what, like 1200 right now or something like that? Berkshire Hathaway? Yeah, what's it at right now? Like 300000 300000 Holy shit. That was the A stock that he owned. <laughs> Holy shit. He, uh, it could be more. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But Why did I think it was only 1200 I mean, Berkshire Hathaway? Yeah, I don't know why I thought that. No, the A stock, the A stock is uh, a lot higher than 1200 I'd have to look up where, where it is. And that, now you got me curious. Uh, for, all right, while you're day. looking that up, let me interject here. So, talking about gold notes and how they bastardized. So, do you, would you analogize Lightning Network as sort of the notes layer of Bitcoin? Not really. No. Because it ties back to the blockchain. Yeah. So, so, it's really not the same thing. Do you think it's a completely new animal, or is there anything uh, in your experience or in the world that you would analogize it to? Or is it just bad to try to compare it to anything? I think Bitcoin in its entirety is a completely new animal. And I think that when people, I think we have to be careful in the analogies we make for it and the understanding we think we have. Because first of all, even the people who understand it the best, I I understand it on some levels. I don't understand the protocol. I mean, I don't think I understand it at all. Uh, I don't understand much of the technical aspect of this stuff. It's somewhere close to zero that I understand some of that stuff. Uh, I understand some of the economics of it, the game theory. I have a view on the process by which it's being developed. Um, and this is, I, this is understandings that I get from listening to people who know a lot more about it than I do. And from what I've seen in the last 37 years, being early mainstream adopter in, in, in technology after technology in the computing and, and, and mobile data and mobile area. I think that you were born... When were you born? Docs myself. I was born in 1991. Okay. So you were born just a little bit before the internet, but you probably don't remember that. I mean, but no, the internet was around, but... I remember it. I remember... You were, like, you were a kid. You were, you were really little. Yeah. So here's my... You were essentially born in the internet. Yes. Age. You're, you're an internet native. I'm not. Uh, well, I, I like to think I'm a, uh, a sort of bridge to it. You're not a bridge. So you're I an re- internet native. I remember... <laughs> you're absolutely an internet native. <laughs> you're not a bridge at all. I remember life before caller ID. I remember getting caller ID and being like, holy shit. Life before caller ID? I remember... <laughs> I, <laughs> Jimmy Rogers says he remembers calling up and said, ask for the number seven <laughs> for his house. <laughs> Jimmy Rogers remembers. Well, I, uh, and I, I remember pay phones. We had a dial. We had uh, one of the, uh, there was actually a viral clip on Twitter going around last week and it had me cracking up. It was two, two Gen, or Gen Z kids trying to figure out how to work the telephones with the- uh, a, rot- uh, a rotary the, phone? A rotary phone. And it, yeah. it took, it, they click, couldn't click, figure click. it out. They had five minutes. They had no idea how to do it. That's funny. I remember using the rotary phones, but 
that shows like that's an example of like the disconnect between somebody who lived in that era and now and that's what i think you're getting into so what do you think about us you know what well no my point my point is that this is this is what amazes me about people my age and i think they don't think about this because many people my age if you're well to do you're you don't feel the need to uh to look to something like bitcoin if you're an average person maybe you feel it's beyond you and there's often there's often this whole technology thing and people tell the story for years i mean i had this with my father the 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 the, the, uh, the number flashing on the vcr um that's the time and we had a VCR. Well, you're looking. Why, why are you looking at me like that? I had a VCR too. Okay, but do you remember he, did, did, he didn't recognize a clock. No, he knew it was flashing. He want no, no. He he knew what it was. He, he wanted me to fix the time. He did not <laughs> fix the time. <laughs> so I had to fix the time on the VCR. Uh, but I heard a story about a guy who didn't. <laughs> he's wondering what the numbers meant. Right. <laughs> I think it was dashing. It was flashing like one two zero zero. But. So people are afraid of technology, and it's difficult. And I've always been willing to embrace technology, and, and not a lot of people uh, not a lot of people my age have. They've had it forced on them, and they embraced it. Some were readily embraced it. Others didn't. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that old, so there are a lot of people my age who use computers. But as new technology comes out, difficult technology, Bitcoin is more difficult technology. It's not simple. It's not easy. And so people are always reluctant to try to do new things if they don't have to do them. No, but the point that I, I was trying to make here is that it's amazing to me how fast stuff happens. And even Bitcoin. Bitcoin didn't really start... I, I don't know when the first price... I know it's the pizza. But when was the pizza? When was the 10,000 Bitcoin pizza? So I want to say March 2010. Okay. So... I guess that was the first pricing of Bitcoin, right? Now I got to look it up. Yeah. That, it's uh, not cr- it, 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 2010, 2011, Bitcoin was trading, you know, literally in, in the pennies. Bitcoin average is a good chart. Like yeah, it was 2010, numbers. May 2010. But it was trading in the pennies in, till like sometime in 2011 i think mm-hmm. you could you could still buy it yeah like the first price spike went from uh a tenth of a cent to three cents that was the first I, I i don't have it on the charts that i've looked at but you'd still buy it in in pennies and we're looking at a bitcoin price today at approximately thirty six hundred dollars now having gone a lot higher this is a very short time frame from 2010 2011 to 2019 and I think people who've been in it for a while, I've thought about this, people who've been in it for like five years, they kind of lose focus mm-hmm. about how short this really is and how fast this is really happening. And so I've seen period after period with the development of PCs and then uh, uh, companies adopting and bringing into the workplace computers using spreadsheets and word processors and uh, databases. And then you saw it with... Uh, the earliest part of the internet, people would start using the internet, but really wasn't until AOL. I had dial-up internet, which was maybe 24-something, 24K, I don't know, what the, 56K. Then I had ADSL, finally broadband. Even that broadband wasn't that fast. I had, at one time on a, had a Bloomberg, I had a T1 line for it. 
You know what a T1 line is? Nope. T1 line was a line that they used. Um, it was a data line. It was expensive because they'd split POTS lines off of it. I don't know how many POTS lines. POTS. Uh, now you got to describe POTS plain lines. Plain old telephone service. <laughs> okay. Okay. Those are the little. That th- makes th- those, are the, those, are, those are the pair of wires that come into your house. Um, mm. I, I don't know how many wires it is, but they're basically copper wires, and they use those copper wires to put ADSL on, and this was the process. And so, this stuff all happened really fast. And the technology for this stuff changed really fast. What's interesting is that each technology builds on existing technologies. And so it tends to get faster. So there's some guys out there trying to make the case that you're going to get this elongation. And I don't think you are. I heard a guy named Peter Diamantis and Ray Kurzweil talk about this in Exponential Technologies. And they argue that exponential technologies actually accelerate. And I think they're right. And I think that Bitcoin and Lightning are exponential technologies. And what we are seeing right now is incredibly rapid development in Bitcoin, incredibly rapid development in Lightning. And I think that once we see... I was listening to some Chain Code Labs YouTubes, and nobody listens to these because I was like number 97. Of high quality, high quality YouTubes. Go check them out. Very underutilized, like you just mentioned. People don't look at this. They, they spend all their time listening to idiots talking about price. <laughs> and I mean it, idiots talking about price. I really want to hammer that home. I don't talk you, about price. Because you don't talk price at all. Price is bullshit. Talking about, talking about technical analysis when nobody knows what the hell they're talking about is worthless. Technical analysis. Let's get some TA hate. Get all the TA, TA hate out. I uh-huh. hate TA. Well, Why? no, TA is useful on Wall Street because if you've got institutional investors, professional investors, active investors who are looking at companies and looking at their earnings and, and understand the industry, then you're trying to figure out what these smart investors are going to do and you're going to copy what these other smart investors are going to do and hope to make some money. But what are you doing in Bitcoin? 2% or 5% of the people know what the hell they're looking at. So you're an idiot and you're looking at what other idiots are doing. How does that help you? <laughs> it makes no sense to me. It's the dumbest thing in the world. So you, you're what? not spending, you're listening to some moron tell you about the price and try to hammer it down because he wants to buy it cheaper and scare you out of your Bitcoin and you're going to be left, like I was, not owning Microsoft up 200 times because some idiot told you it's going to go to whatever. <laughs> and it pisses me off like crazy. What do you have to say to the people that it's worked for, though, in the past? They're going to get their nads ripped off. <laughs> I haven't in heard time, nads in a while. In time, they are going to get so hurt. And, and this is where the scarcity is going to kick in. And that's what I started to say before. I don't know which bull market it's going to be in. But the guys who are wise guys who think, oh, I can trade this. I know what the hell I'm doing. They're going to one day, in some big bull market, they're going to sell it. Or worse yet, they're going to get short it. Now, I guess there's some ways that you can get short and you don't actually have your whole, you know, your whole account on the line like you would in the stock market. Mm-hmm. In the stock market, you get short something and like your whole account gets wiped out. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you wake up one day. Do you remember the guy? Oh, what was the name of the company? There was a company, some crappy little nothing company. I can't remember the name now. You'll remember the story. He shorted this little dollar stock. It was a nothing. And oh, I can't remember. Is this recently? A few years ago. There was a guy. I have to look up the names. I can't remember the names. It's like a dollar twenty, dollar fifty stock. He shorted it. And the guy who went to jail said he was going to buy it. Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli. Martin Shrek- Shrekley? Shrekley, yeah. yeah. 
look up that look, look up the stock. I've been referred to as the Martin Shkreli of Bitcoin podcast. I don't know why. That's not a compliment. I know. That's I was sort of offended. No, I, I wouldn't call you that at all. Thank you. So this guy shorted the stock. He shorted in some reasonable size. He thought it was going to make money as it's going to go to zero from a dollar. <laughs> and he had like $35,000 in his account. He lost like a hundred and some odd thousand dollars. He had to go fund me up. What do you go, 4X margin? No, he was just shorted. And the thing went up overnight, like went from a dollar to like $40 overnight. Yeah, but how do you get 4X margin call? Do you have to have like how much leverage are they using? He, he, he couldn't get out of the position. Okay. It gapped up the next day. It was closed and it gapped up. It just gapped. Mm-hmm. Because Shrelly, whatever his name, pronounce his, pronounce his name, he was going to take over the stock. And so I'm assuming it's a pharmaceutical stock. It was something. a pharmaceutical. It was a biotech or a pharmaceutical. Yeah. Some crappy little nothing stock. Yeah. But he shorted it. And he shorted it, this, this dollar stock, and it gapped the next day. And it, it didn't rip his head off or his face off. It just, it just completely buried him. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was like he was vaporized. <laughs> you know, it's it was just, I, it, it's, it's one of the most horrible stories I've ever seen. You know, I, I, I thought he was really stupid, but I really felt bad for him because it was just so incredibly stupid. Right. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, first of all, how are you so stupid to short a stock like that? And, and that's like shorting Bitcoin here. Shorting Bitcoin at this price, you're down 85 freaking percent. In, in my opinion, I, I call Bitcoin the highest quality, least expensive, most misunderstood asset on the planet. And I really mean that. What do you think the bis- biggest misunderstandings are? The biggest in- misunderstanding is that here's an interesting thing. So let's say you're worth $5 million. One and day. You, and you, hmm? One day. Let's say you're worth $5 million. And you live in a not so great part of the world. And you put half a million dollars into Bitcoin and you have to travel through a really terrible place. You could put that half a million dollars on a tracer, memorize the 24 words, put a passphrase on it, and you could walk through the worst places in the world. And assuming they didn't, you know, mug you or rob you, nobody could know that you had a half a million dollars inside your head. There's nothing else you can do that with. Right. Now, what's that worth? That's priceless. That's worth so much. And in the not distant future, Nick Zabo is possibly my single favorite guy. Shout um, out Nick, Nick if you're listening. I love answer Nick my Zabo. DM. I I consider myself to be in a seminar with Nick Zabo. What do you mean? He he answers my tweets occasionally. Mm-hmm. He liked a tweet of mine yesterday. I was overjoyed. I think he's so unbelievably smart and I consider myself very lucky and privileged that I can have an interaction with someone of this intellectual caliber. I mean, he's, he's he's brilliant. He's one of the smartest people I've ever come across. He's I would agree. Go class. go read unenumerated blog freaks if you haven't already. We've pumped it here. You have to read you have to read two things. The two critical things you have to read is you have to read the origins of money. Shelling out. This is shelling out origins of money is critical and um, 
Social scalability. Um, right. Uh, blockchains. I can't remember the exact title now. Money, blockchains, and social scaling. Mm-hmm. That's from Unenumerated. Those are two must-reads. Those are foundational reads. Yes. You can't understand Bitcoin without reading those two. What do you have to say to the David Grabers of the world that uh, reject the notion that money goes through a continuum of collectible store value, medium of exchange, unit of account? Money's always been debt. I saw this this um, this feed. Was it last night? The Twitter was that the yeah Yassin. I read about it in the uh, newsletter today. If you read the Bent, I didn't read the newsletter today. I'm sorry. It's issue number four hundred, Richard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it when I go home. Okay, talked about but this I was, topic. I, I had to drive down here. That's true. From Georgia. <laughs> Long trip. Appreciate you making it. But honestly, like. What do you have to say to these people? Like, there is there is a strong contingency, like Vitalik Buterin, being one of the the main proponents in the cryptocurrency world, that the Zabian, uh, Nick Zabian, I guess I'll Zabo, Zabo. I know, but I'm saying like Zabian, like referring to him as like Nick Zabian. Vitalik can't shine Nick Zabo's shoes. <laughs> okay, but let me let me preface the question. The but there is a, and Vitalik's not alone in this thinking at all. Um, there is a contingent of people within quote unquote crypto who do not buy Nick Zabo's story that, that money goes through that continuum. And when it's not it's not relevant whether or not it goes to that continuum. Money was that because money is not the best money is not debt. The best money is an asset. Because you can't have this this was the quote I was looking for. Let me let me just let me just find this. <coughs> he tweeted this. Richard brought notes. I love it. Some of the best guests guests bring notes. I think a wide variety of supply algos would have worked, as long as they're predictable. Bitcoin's Bitcoin's works well because it's simple enough for a large number of users to understand. Security slash trust minimization is responsible for more of its value, as I assess it, than the tech. The fact that it's easily understandable is more valuable no, 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 no. than the actual no, 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 no. tech. Security and trust minimization is what's responsible for oh. its value. Mm-hmm. The tech is involved with that. But mm-hmm. no, no. Security and trust minimization. How do you have security or trust minimization in a credit instrument? You can't. It's hope. You can't. It's, it's you by can't. definition hope, right? No, you can't. You cannot have. You cannot have. I'm trust. agreeing with you. Just no, I know you are. No, no, I know, I know you. You can't have trust minimization in a debt instrument. In any debt instrument, I'm relying on your willingness to fulfill its value. Only in an asset, only in uh, a commodity or an asset, and an asset doesn't have to be something you can touch. An asset can also be, uh, Bitcoin can be a thing without being able to touch it. And that's the social consensus. We recognize that it's this thing that we can use, that we can send around the world, that we know is unique, has the qualities of uniqueness. Bitcoin's an interesting hybrid of data and the analog world. And it's the only thing that I know of which, or the first thing, there are probably others that have attempted to copy it with, with the forks, but its uniqueness of being able to be unique and move like data. Mm-hmm. 
this is actually a side thought here. I just had a bell go off in my head for anybody that maybe maybe like the Wall Street types that don't get Bitcoin forks aren't Bitcoin. Maybe that's how you explain it really fast. Like try to send send me Bitcoin from your Bitcoin cash wallet or something like that. No, that wouldn't. They wouldn't understand that because it, what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin is its network effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like, the network effects associated with Bitcoin and network effects build, and what makes what it, it it's the whole idea of money is core to being a human. I actually had asked Nick Zabo if he thought that money preceded language. Whoa. And he believes what he tweeted to me was that he thought money may have may precede language and we might have used uh, tools as a medium of exchange. Now, he didn't comment whether that was money or whether that was barter, but that likely preceded language. Um, I think that I can't do his paper justice in trying to describe it here. No. It's a must read, though, because if you don't understand what money is. And this helps you to understand and have a framework for money. If you're depending on me to fulfill a promise to you, at the end of the day, what is debt? The future production? No. No? Debt is a promise. Yeah, a promise of future production. It's a promise. Okay. Promissory note is a promise. I promise that I'm going to be good for this. I promise I'm going to produce in the future. I promise I'm going to pay you back. <laughs> no, it, but it's it, a promissory note is I, mm-hmm. I'm making a promise to you. You can't minimize the trust on that because I could fail for any number of reasons. I could fail for reasons that are beyond my ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Future production is not right because the future production cannot be there. Could, there are any so, number of reasons that I could yeah. fail. My promise may be no good. Even if I mean, even I'm really well-intentioned, mm-hmm. I have no intention of, hurting you in any way, defrauding you in any way. I completely plan on fulfilling it, but God strikes me dead. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about that. Right. God strikes me dead. So definitionally, you cannot have something which is um, trust minimized and it... And permissory? Hmm? And permissory? You can't have something trust minimized and permissory. Promissory? Promissory, oh, Okay. Yes. Promissory. Yeah, I don't think so. Was going for so, the so all all debt, all debt, all notes, all credit. I, I didn't read. Tell me what um, what Dave, uh, David David Graeber. What did he say exactly? Five thousand years of debt. He, he said money started out as debt, never moved through that continuum. But but five thousand. But money's older than five thousand years. Is it? I believe it is. Mm-hmm. I believe money is probably old. I believe that money. I think in reading his paper, I am pretty convinced that. That uh, that Nick Zabo is is right, uh, and I also think that the concept that money has always been debt is fundamentally flawed. Yeah, and I think this line of thinking is getting back to something we were touching on earlier, um, which was uh, just slipped my mind. What were we touching on earlier? That what the hell was I just about to say? You distracted me. What were you asking? Yeah, yeah, go. You got a bathroom break. I'm gonna go after you. I'm going to think of this up. We can cut this out. We're at minute. You live oh, wait, wait, save this. Save this. And we're back from our pee break, freaks. I completely forgot what we were talking about. We were talking about Zabin and money. Uh, so, yeah. And Xavier and money. I wanted to, we were talking about debt. You think money is older than 5,000 years. 
I forget the question I was going to ask you, and I'm pretty pissed because it was like a great question when it came to my mind. You'll think of it again. I'll think of it again. But uh, you just went on a tangent. You want to talk about something specifically. Uh, No, no, there are a lot of things I want to talk about. I can talk about everything. All right. I know you can. This is why I I brought you in. Do you want to stay on the train of thought of... uh, I'm happy to, to do it. Go whichever direction you'd like to go. All right, let's talk about deplatforming. You just jumped into that. I, I think that deplatforming is really interesting. I think that I'm hopeful. I'm going to tie this in. The guys who are negative on Bitcoin right now are missing something really, really big here. Negative on the price or the technology? Negative on the price. Okay. The guys were negative on the price. We're constantly bashing the price, constantly making predictions. Oh, this is going to go to $1,000. Oh, my God. It could go to $800. If it does that, I don't know. I'm going to have to leave. I have to sell all my Bitcoin. I heard one guy who's famous saying that the other day. I thought, oh, my God. You must be kidding. It's like, what's wrong with you? What did he say? A guy who was just saying, oy vey. (laughs) 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 Oy vey, if it goes to 800, maybe I'd have to sell my Bitcoin. (laughs) See, that's like we were talking about earlier. He was hyperbolic about it. Right? (laughs) I thought it was insane. Here's here's the thing. Bitcoin, this is something I think, and I'm sorry to put it this way, but I've been trading markets for a lot of years. And... A lot of these guys, I think, are new to trading. They're new to markets. They just don't think about things the way I think about them because I went to business school. I've been trading. You have experience. Do you know what, do you know, do you know what the U.S. stock market – look up Wilshire 5000. Google Wilshire 5000. That's an approximation for the value of the U.S. stock market. Wilshire, W-E? Wilshire, W-I-L-S-H-I-R-E, Wilshire 5000. What's, what's the Wilshire 5000? 27076 right okay. now. Okay. Then the US stock market is right now approximately 27 trillion dollars. What's the market cap of Bitcoin? Oh man, I'm about to get a coin market cap for a quick one. Yeah, that's fine. Then we'll go to Coinmetrics. Shout out Coinmetrics, better better site. We're going to look at the charts. No, no, I want a price. I want a market cap. Just an approximation. A price rate at 3.63 right now. Uh ba Do you want realized cap or no? I want I want I want the market cap. I don't want realized cap. It's uh, sixty-two 60, billion. Sixty-three and a half billion. Uh, whatever, sixty-two, sixty-sixty-three billion. Mm-hmm. So, what's sixty-three billion divided by twenty-seven trillion? It's got to be like a fourth of a percent or forty percent of a percent, point four percent, forty bips. It's 20 basis points. 20 bips. was 20, off. 20 basis points. Okay. Appro- approximately. Yeah. It's good enough for government work. Yeah. <laughs> That's not happening anymore. That's not happening these days. Well, some, government go- some governments are working. But it's good enough for go- 20, 20 basis points. Mm-hmm. It was off by 100%, but whatever. If you had $20,000, how much is 20 basis points of that $20,000? Uh, forty six. Forty six bucks. Yeah. yeah. If the, if this math is right. Wait, no, that's not right. N- no, it's it, not forty six. It it's like forty. Well, it's probably some rounding on this stuff. Yeah. Forty, forty six again. It's good enough for government work. Mm-hmm. You said twenty bips, right? Twenty basis points. Okay. 
Yes, forty, but there was probably rounding in the math yeah. that I did. Yeah. Got to forty six, so this, it wasn't really it wasn't really twenty bips. It's probably a little bit more, but again, it's good. It's good enough for discussion. We, it's not important to be that accurate. Yes, yes, this is the theme of this podcast. So, forty dollars out of twenty thousand. You twenty thousand dollars. What do you think about forty dollars? Not much. That's the value of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it is right now. From a Bitcoin is about forty dollars relative to the stock market. Well, it, so if you had, if you had twenty thousand dollars and you had forty dollars that you were walking around with in your pocket, just some spending money. Mm-hmm. That's the value of Bitcoin out of your twenty thousand. Now that's not globally. <laughs> globally, it's less. Right. <laughs> globally, you'd probably divide that by about three. Yeah. So $40 divided by about three. So what's that? Like, like $13. Cents, yeah. Six, I mean, yeah, $16. So if if we brought it down to numbers that people can understand, if you had $20,000 globally, Bitcoin relative to the global stock market is like $13. I don't know if I like that analogy, but... No, my point is, people don't realize how damn small this thing is. Right. That it's is like true. really small. So if... A couple of wealthy guys wake up one day and says, you know, I want to own me some of that. Guys are going to surely have their heads ripped off. <laughs> they're just going to have their heads ripped off. Like that guy, like that guy who, wa- who, who woke up one day and, 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 and the stock went from a dollar to 40 overnight. Martin Shacrelli wrecked him. Wrecked him. Totally wrecked him. Uh, so yeah. let's, uh, let's pause here and reflect. So what, what would your advice be to these younger traders? So that's like another. Th- I think that's what my other question was getting back to is like, Bitcoin is. I feel like it's a young movement. I feel young. I still feel young, even though some people I, say I feel young, I'm even aging. though I barely have hair. <laughs> I think I'll be on your level at some point in the next couple decades. So it's not a uh, nothing to be ashamed go, about. Fast. But like that's one thing I'm interested in. Like okay, I'll give you one my thing, So that's one thing I ask, and I want to ask you as somebody who's older. Is I, I I like to ask guests, like especially the younger ones. One in particular, who I think you're you're referring to, um, is are we naive? Like as young people trying to make this new money, is what are we naive? No, like, are we just here's, naive young people? P- here's here's pumping no onto no a no pipe no dream? no. I think we're underestimating how big this thing is. Okay, and it's easy to underestimate how big it is. I did not understand. I make the argument that extreme bull and extreme bear markets are. A feature of Bitcoin, not a bug. I would agree. Why is that? As I see it, the extreme bull markets <clears throat> basically bring in network effects, mm-hmm. which includes technological development. The extreme bear markets pushes Bitcoin back into the hands of those who understand it best. Mm-hmm. So if you really understand Bitcoin... You kind of buy and you keep buying and you and you buy and you know you set whatever your prices are, and it may not be perfect, but you recognize imperfection. This is trading. Trading is not perfect. So you buy some and you buy some more, and you don't know where the bottom is. But we're going to get an extreme bull market again, and how that forms is that at some point people are going to wake up. They're going to start to see this technology that's getting developed. I forget who was talking about Napsterization of data. It might have been Chris Stewart. I don't remember from Chaincode Labs, which is fascinating. Some Wall Street guy is going to 
finally learn about what's happening with Lightning's development, with the potential application development on the stuff that these guys are doing and coming up with. And their eyes are going to pop open and say, oh my God, I didn't know this was that. I didn't know this would disintermediate these 40 businesses. And I think you're bringing up a good point because like, if that does happen and there is an event, a hyper-Bitcoinization event, don't know when it is. That's just something uh, That's ob- observational. My own tendencies, like last year during the bull run up to 20, like I was still DCAing. Right? I'm a huge believer of dollar cost averaging, so I'm still buying every paycheck a little bit and seeing the little amount of Bitcoin that my DCA was, my average buy was going as the price was going up. I was like, holy shit. Like I will never be able, like I was afraid to sell the top because I was like, what if it doesn't go back down and I'm never able to get back that Bitcoin? That will happen one day. Mm-hmm. That will happen. Will people, in my opinion, there'll be one of these bull markets <clears throat> that things will go beyond where people think it's possible, um, and they will end up selling more than they thought they wanted to sell, and they'll end up owning much less of it because it'll go from and I'm making up numbers here. It'll go from half a million to a million dollars. In like a day and a half. No. No, no, it will. It's one, there, w- there will be a time. 100% move in a day. Absolutely, it's possible. Totally possible. Mm-hmm. Scarcity is a really interesting and really scary thing. Here, I, I, I was there in the 90s. We saw stocks regularly trade. Stocks regularly trade $20, 30 $50 a day. What percentage movement is that? It was huge. It, 20 or 30 percent stocks and there's lots of them you know mm-hmm. it's, you know you're choosing amongst lots of different companies you know you, i mean certainly there were probably things that uh could certainly have doubled and i don't remember that but you saw massive massive moves but bitcoin is unique and one day this market is going to turn from a market where everybody's a seller to nobody's a seller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like watching a flock of birds. And one day the birds are flying one direction, and two minutes later they're flying another direction, and you're not going to know why the hell that was. And that's what these markets are going to be like. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there who are really cute. They think they can predict this. They think they understand this. They think they, think they got it all figured out. They're going to get totally wrecked. They'll either get wrecked because they're short, or they get wrecked because they'll just own much less Bitcoin than they thought was possible. And I'm not saying it happens down here. It could happen at much higher levels. It's going to happen. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I know it's absolutely going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen. But the difference between Bitcoin and stocks is that they ain't making no more of it. <laughs> right? You know, what do they always tell you about real estate? Son, you should buy yourself some real estate. How come? Because they're not making any more of it. Not <laughs> San Francisco, at least. A place that's probably only true is San Francisco, but no, yeah. no, but, but seriously. So, I think of Bitcoin. It's better than buying Manhattan when John Jacob Astor bought it. I think Dan said <laughs> when the when <laughs> when they bought it from the Indians for twenty four <laughs> bucks, which, which is why I love Dan. I think didn't he say that? I don't. I don't remember. Somebody said. That. Somebody said it, and I thought, gee, that's much better than what I said. <laughs> I really like that better, and it's really true. It's. You think it's a bigger opportunity than Manhattan? 
Oh, it's such a huge opportunity. It's so understated as the size of the opportunity. Dan used a number of a quadrillion dollars. And, and that really means, how you have to think about that, it's a, re it's a giant repricing event. So you're repricing the world in Bitcoin. I actually believe you'll destroy all debt in the process. And we can go over that. Oh, uh, we're going to go over in this. In a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I think you destroy all debt. Um, it's voluntary destruction. And it becomes what I call a Bitcoin-based jubilee because the debt sellers will drive the price down and uh, ultimately borrowers will buy their way out of debt really, really, really cheap. Now, maybe not everybody will be able to, but it's going to be, to some people, a really, really scary event. Uh, although I argue that depending on where they do it, if, if you own, you know, if you have a lot of money in debt at some point and you even buy 5 or 10% Bitcoin, then the move becomes so extreme that you get bailed out. You may not, get to you may not totally replace your wealth, but a lot of it will be replaced. One guy said to me, and I know he's worried about himself, but he, people always put, when they worry about themselves, they say, well, what about these poor people? <laughs> and they're really thinking to themselves, well, what about me? But they don't want to say that because that just sounds so crass. But this guy owns real estate, and he said, you know, what about the poor people? And in reality, if they reprice your building that you own in Bitcoin, you're not any less wealthy. And I said to him as an example, I said, because the Google guys have more money, did that hurt you? I don't know. How did you get hurt by the Google guys having more money? You didn't. They got more money and brought a great technology into the well, world. Well, no, that, no, that, but I'm just saying, if, if somebody else gets wealthy, that doesn't mean you lose your wealth. So, some, you know, if you own things, it's going to get repriced in Bitcoin. Now, it doesn't mean you couldn't have done better had you bought Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Of course, you, you would have done better. But it doesn't mean that you become worse off for it because you didn't or buy it later, y if you were very well-to-do, if you had a lot of money, and you converted to Bitcoin at a later date... That's a different case. Well, that what I'm just talking about, somebody who has wealth, yeah. who converts, they would have more of the... Uh, That's a good point. The wealthy have more to lose if hyper-Bitcoinization happens. Not necessarily. No? Well, it depends on what the nature of the wealth is. Okay. So yeah, if you're wealthy... I mean, if they have cash flow businesses that are productive, I mean, that's good to have it. Then they'll just then they'll just end up earning money in Bitcoin. Yes, but... Their business will convert into Bitcoin. But their downside is much larger... Or, excuse me... How do I want to preface this? But I, I, I just had, like, an, another... A lot of light bulbs going off this episode, Richard. Um, if the, you yeah, the potential upside for people who aren't well-off right now... It's very high. It's very high, and they won't be... Like they like the average like th that's actually what I want to touch about the the average American has like four hundred dollars in emergency expenses, if maybe, like, maybe not even maybe not even like maybe not even above fifty percent. <coughs> so like those people who don't have that like is it going to be that big of a difference? Like if Bitcoinization does, I happen? do I think so because I I think that the economy I actually have a view that we're in the early stages of what I consider an emergent economic paradigm, and I think the economic paradigm is actually I think it's as big a change from the agricultural revolution to the industrial revolution. I think it's a really, really big change. And we've already had some of the information technology revolution, but... Yeah, we're having, in the information age. Like. Having a new money, which pushes us into being low time preference, will have certain things necessarily happen. We're likely, let me, let me put it, li likely occur. So... 
I believe that Bitcoin creates an economy which is anti-materialistic, anti-consumerism. Now, I'm pretty sure, and, and these ideas evolved because it was my, it, it sort of came to me. Because I know that your generation tends to be anti-materialistic and uh, anti-consumerist. Really? I've heard that. You Not would true. say that? Somebody told me that. Not true? I don't think so. I think everybody's trying to fucking flaunt on each other on Instagram and like... Okay. To flex, to flex here. Oh, so we're, maybe, we're coming maybe, back to flexing. Maybe you were only, maybe you were only <laughs> anti-materialistic when you were in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> as you got, as you got older, you said, that really sucks having nothing. But what right. I mean by that is, so let 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 let's say, which would you prefer? Yeah, that, that's true. I will actually. Well, okay, shout out to my millennial brethren and sisters out there. Well, let me ask you a question. Like the, the, tri- the tripe with millennials is we like experiences more than material goods. Well, here's a test. Here's a test. So would you rather have uh, a bigger home and less opportunity to spend money on other things or have a smaller home with more opportunity to spend on other things? Where would you rather spend your money? I think you need to preface that differently, not bigger necessarily, but more comfortable. That is my ideal goal is to buy. Like the first thing I'm going to buy if Bitcoin ever goes crazy is a house. And I want it to be a comfortable house. I don't really want a big like mansion. I want a fireplace, a few bedrooms, a backyard, stuff like that. Maybe it's wrong that your generation's anti-materialistic. That seems pretty materialistic. I, I don't. I don't have a problem with materialism. But here, here's what I think. And you're talking to somebody who lives in a studio apartment with a wife right now. So no, I understand. I, I think that people will tend to. Oh, well, he, here's a better test. So imagine the following situation: if you could put money in the bank and earn, I'm going to pick an extreme number because it makes it easier to think about it this way. And you can earn 25% in the bank. You, you're, in, you're in, you're out. And you had $20,000. Are you going to be more inclined to put the money in the bank and not spend it or put the money in the bank and spend it? Put it in and spend it, right? You know, you're, you're going to spend You're going to spend it. You're not going to take the 25% that you can earn? Oh, oh, I didn't hear that. No. I, 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 I mean spend the money. Are you, gonna, are you going to look to get the return on that money, the 25% return that you could get on a relatively risk, risk-free risk way, or are you going to... I was too busy chewing on beef jerky to catch that caveat. Yes, I would hold the money for the 25%. And, and I think that would be true of many people. And, and that's where the anti-materialism comes from. So you'll be... Money which accretes in value, people, I think, are going to tend to want to see that value go up. We've created... We've created an economy where immediate wants and needs are satisfied, and we've created a debt-based economy to do that. And it's easy to create that debt-based economy, and we might end up recreating a debt-based economy even in a Bitcoin world because people, people's, their ids are so powerful mm-hmm. relative to you know, what, what we want, the pleasure-seeking that we seek. But the pain that comes from that debt is so great um, that it, 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 it is hard to know. I tend to think that you're not going to have debt in a Bitcoin 
based world. I think that lenders are going to be reluctant to lend to low quality credits because they're not going to get their Bitcoin back. I think businesses are going to tend to prefer equity to debt uh, because in a world with deflating prices, a fixed payment becomes more onerous and significantly more onerous. Mm-hmm. And I think that in time, go ahead. No, no, I was pointing. In like time, uh, the value of global production will go into Bitcoin, and as a result of that, it will go up in value because you have a relatively fixed, uh, a relatively fixed supply of money, and so. Some people might call that productivity, but increased increased global production. See, this is what I think is going to end up happening with Bitcoin. I There's an idea that I have, and I have no way of getting this done myself, so I'm just happy to share this idea. So let's do a thought experiment. Here's the thought experiment I have. I call it four technologies change the world. Mm-hmm. So if I take a very poor section of the world, and I imagine there are a million kids there, call it a million kids aged five to 18 and we give them four technologies some kind of computer some kind of mobile data device a portable solar panel and bitcoin teach them how to use computers if they don't already know how to use them you're going to have people who can now work globally mm-hmm some of those for some reason when you're saying this and this is off not off topic but I'm envisioning envisioning Haiti when you say this wherever so it is it can be anywhere it could be in India it could be Haiti it could be Africa could Haiti be could mind. be any any number of places yeah they can now work globally have some you ever heard those have you ever heard of the satoshi theory okay I'll let you finish your thought experiment some of those kids will learn programming some of them will start businesses some of them could start global businesses where basically not much existed before. That changes the world. You're going to bring online, and other people talk about this, but I, but I'm making it more concrete. You're going to bring online people who basically are not contributing to the global economy, and they're going to contribute in very significant ways, and I think it's going to bring growth rates to levels that we can't imagine. I think it'll help us get to Mars. I don't know if it gets us to Mars or not. But <laughs> I don't. But 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 it's. But, no, that but, it makes but sense. you're going to create. But you're going to create an economy where basically there was no economy mm-hmm. where people were living, however they were living, and that's amazing, and that's going to happen fast. By fast, ten years, fifteen years, it's going to happen fast. There'll be hurdles that have to be overcome. How to prevent theft of those devices and and, and so on and so forth, but. Stuff like that can be figured out. But that just wasn't popu- possible. So think about, think about this, a different thought experiment. So you're a little guy. You're this is a thought experiment. This is hypothetical. You're five, you're, five, <laughs> you're, you're five foot three, but you're a fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Still a thought experiment. God damn it, Richard. And you are just unbelievably brilliant. And you were like one of the smartest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. But this is the year 900. <laughs> and so you can barely see because you need glasses, but they don't really have glasses. <laughs> How is your life? 
pretty terrible. Your life really sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless somehow, you know, you, you, you make it to the king or, or the duke or the count or whatever where it is, and they decide that you're really smart and they really want your advice. In 2019, you're a billionaire because <laughs> you've created a company and you're, you know, the, 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 it's doing all sorts of crazy crap. Mm-hmm. Nerds so are taking over the world. Well, no, just th- think about that. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about with four technologies change the world. So you've got people with untapped talent that are in the middle of some place where there's no resources and no hope for a no, future. They have media through which to, to utilize that talent. They have the technology, mm-hmm. and they can do business globally. So their talents, there's some people who will have just meager talents that will only be able to do relatively simple things with a computer, whether that's mechanical Turk. You know, m- maybe they can't do more than mechanical Turk. There are going to be some people who will, what? This is, uh, I'm going to interject here. This is because it's my Satoshi theory about to freak you out, Richard. There's some people who theorize out there that Satoshi is looking to undermine the global economy, not the global economy, but the governments in particular. And he's waiting for a Bitcoinization-like event at which point in time he may come out of hiding and start uh, start basically uh, contracting jobs with his stash and potentially hiring the people that you're describing in your in your thought experiment. I don't think he needs to do that. I don't think he does I, I either. Think, I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen. Of course, of a matter of course. Bitcoin enables that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's just a theory. Would you be scared of Satoshi move his coins? What's that? Would you be scared if Satoshi moved his coins or her? I don't think Satoshi ever will move their coins. Neither do I. I think I think I think those keys are probably burned. I wish they were. I hope they are. No, they're probably burned. You know why I say they're probably burned? It's Schrodinger's box, though. We don't know. You don't know a lot of things, but but Satoshi did all that he, they, it could do to keep themselves private. Mm-hmm. So clearly thought about it. I mean, I mean, idiot not to realize that he thought about it thoroughly, extremely right. thoroughly. Right. So this was absolutely a plan and what makes you think that satoshi doesn't have more coins than that yeah right? i mean if you if you mind i don't know how many how many he's a million approximately what's what's the number it ranges between 700 and a million 700,000 okay. and a million so if he has that why couldn't he have another 100,000 200,000 well, not point? even like a thousand maybe somewhere stashed of course he does if if he's alive yeah were they yeah, could you imagine like, creating this and not participating in it? Of course he participated in it. That's ridiculous. He told you to participate. He says it could be worth something. What, you think Satoshi's an idiot? <laughs> come on, use some common what, sense here. What if Satoshi isn't participating? What if he's just like that? Of course a, he's participating. What if he's, like, come on. What if he's in Nepal on some mountain just like meditating? Use your common sense. I'm all about common sense. Use your common sense. Do I have good common sense? I think I do. I don't know. I hope so. I'm if, you, if, you tell me Satoshi, if you tell me Satoshi doesn't didn't take some coins out of it, <laughs> then you don't have any comments. This sense. is a provocative podcast. I got to ask these questions, Richard. It's the job of an interviewer. I don't know you that well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I know you, Richard. That insults me. I feel like we know each other a little well. I actually feel that way too. Because well, you don't know me, but I I know you because I listen. You come into my you come into my ear like. <laughs> That sounds awful. Three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> Rich. Actually, actually, oh my God. You got you to gotta cut this out. This just took a turn for the worse. 
Oh my god. I get what you're saying though, the execution of that line. <laughs> yeah. I'm not coming in Richard's ear three times a week. <laughs> oh poor me. <laughs> this is getting this is getting published. <laughs> Richard's glasses are fogging from laughing so hard right now. Oh brother. <laughs> No, but I feel like you I know, know you. you. I feel know, like I know you. Clear, clear, Not that intimately. Clear, clear, <laughs> I feel like clearly, I know you. you. Clearly, you must. Um, I'm not going to be able to show my face anywhere. Luckily, this is audio recording. I've already been on a podcast. I've already been on YouTube. <laughs> oh, good God! I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to wear JW. <laughs> JW Weatherman's you mask. You got to wear a Wookie mask around I'm everywhere. I have to wear a Wookie mask. I love JW, by the way. I'm going to have to wear a Wookie mask. JW, by the way, I have our uh, episode that I haven't published yet. I'm going to drop that at some uh, point. I'm a huge fan of JW. He is. I go back and forth. I no, think he's, 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 he's given out some bad advice. Bad advice in the past, particularly <sighs> with key managers. Everybody, everybody, everybody gives. Everybody makes some mistakes. Yeah, I should. Everybody makes mistakes. You should tap and, my shoulder. I've probably given out bad advice. Too. No, everybody makes some mistakes, and okay. I I happen to really like him, and I do too. I happen to be every of the conversation view, I've had with him has been incredible. I happen to be of the view that you judge people in their totality, and um, people like to be very nitpicking. And the real question is: Do are people smart, and do they help you learn and understand things? And he's helped me learn and understand a lot of things. I would agree, and so I really like him for it. And I think his idea. So, for instance, the whole concept of what he what he calls uh, you know the the power dynamic, the whole idea that there will be a time in the future. You know, we were talking about before about you're being able to go through a really bad area and and retain the value of your Bitcoin. And you know, you got guys like Casa Hodel who are trying to create a multi-sig wallet where they're basically trying to change the power dynamic so that if somebody attacks you that you can uh, create a situation where you can protect your value. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to change in time. And what people think... Now, I have an example for this. I was looking it up, and someone, I'm sure, will correct me so I can I can feel better and that I'll be corrected. But I w- I'll come back to that in a second. There's never been a time in human history when somebody could protect what was theirs and not have it taken from them. If you think about it, there's just never been a time like that. If you were... Other than thoughts, right? Here's the thing. If you have something and I want it, I can kill you and take it. So I'm not talking about me personally. Yes. We said killing's bad. Yes, we're not coming or killing. Right. Uh, uh, Yeah. Easy with the coming. (laughs) Easy come, easy go. Uh, But seriously, if you had a business, if you had property, if you had gold, it could be taken from you. And and, uh, they could kill you and still profit by it. Bitcoin is the first time that you can have something and you can protect it, defend it, and not have it taken from you. That's why I said it's like thoughts, like the fact that the words are technically thoughts at the end of the day. But at, at a certain point, once they realize that they can't benefit by it, they won't even try. Now, that sounds crazy to people. Say, well, of course they'll try. Here's a story that I remember, but I don't remember if I remember it accurately. And I really tried researching It's probably it. likely that you don't remember it accurately. More than likely I don't remember it accurately. Yes. This is what I remember. I'm going to tell you what I remember. 
and I count on somebody in this audience telling me that I'm wrong. Sometime in the 80s, BMWs in New York were broken into constantly because people were trying to steal the radio. The radio at the time, I think, was a blau-punked radio. Was it like just unique on the market? Nobody else, no, the, no, no, they the were really, really expensive radios. People really wanted to resell the radios. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and this is where I'm not completely sure, I believe blau-punked made them so they were one-to-one correspondence with the car so that a thief could steal the radio but couldn't resell it because it wasn't usable in any other car. Mm-hmm. So, relatively soon after this happened, they just stopped doing it. They were breaking windows regularly. They were breaking car windows to steal the radio regularly. And the change was made, and they just stopped. They just stopped breaking windows to steal the radio. Now, something I was reading said other, other automobile companies started making better radios. I don't think that's what really happened. I, I looked this up, and, and, and I don't think that's what happened. It, from what I remember, that's not what happened that they they made a change in it. It's really hard. People have a really hard time. And this goes back to Bitcoin. People have a really t- hard time imagining a world that's different from the world they're living in. Mm-hmm. And so how pronounced is that in a world and a time in which we live where things are growing exponentially? People have a hard time imagining a world that's different from the world they're living in. They've always had that problem. They still have the problem. But how pronounced is it today? Very pronounced. Like Bitcoin's at thirty six hundred bucks. It should be at four hundred thousand. <laughs> it's very pronounced, right? It's very pronounced. Yeah. No, it, it, people are stupid. People can't oh, imagine are a we, world. Are we stupid or are we animals? Where we literally like our chemistry no, can't people, react to people, it. People think they're different. They're not that different. No, history rhymes. Right? In in the seventies, did you ever hear of Alvin Toffler? Uh, not confidently. Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock. Ever hear that book? I've heard of Future Shock, yes. I never read the book. I'm a lazy reader. I am too. But this was very popular in the 70s. There were a lot of things in the 70s. People were worried about what the future was going to look like. People were very negative, very scared of what was going to happen. And the world's changed dramatically from the 70s. And I go back to what I was saying before about why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin. And lightning because they're exponential technologies. And I've seen these changes happen, so I'll take you through quickly. From the PCs to the changes in the internet to uh, you know, various speeds in the internet, to the social media explosion that we've seen. This is an iPhone. This is an iPhone 8 that I'm holding. Mm-hmm. When... Another flex. When... What's that? He's flexing again. When, <laughs> when was iPhone invented? Ten years ago, 2007? That's what I was going to say, too. Twelve years ago? People think it's old technology. Right. People think this is old. How fucking stupid is that? <laughs> I'm still rocking a seven. This is ancient. No, no, I, no, that's not, no, I'm not saying that the eight is old. They think iPhones generally are old. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. It's ten years old. They think it's old. They don't understand the change that's happening in their own lives. They don't see it. And that's... Not just your generation, it, it's my generation too. People well, that's back to the point I was trying to make. Like, it's the chemistry of our... So that's another theme I like to touch on in this podcast. Is like, it's like, as animals, literally as n- part of nature, like our chemistry, our biology, the way our chemicals in our body react, literally we have no precedent in our DNA to react to 
to uh, uh, the pace of change that we're experiencing today. We could go back 5,000 years and we'd just be the same people. <laughs> we'd, right? We'd be no freaking different. But but we've never experienced this amount of change. And how does that change us? Like, and that's one thing. I'm, or does it? Bitcoin changes us. That's yeah, a very, very big quote on this don't podcast. Change Bitcoin. Bitcoin changes you. And it's true. But it's hard. we live day to day as human beings. I love the Bill Gates quote because I think it's pretty right. And I'm going to probably not get it exactly right, but something to the effect that less change happens in two years than you think and more change happens in ten years than you think. And I think we're very close to an inflection point in Bitcoin. Somewhere in the next one to three years, it will become very obvious about what's being developed right now with Lightning, with wallets, with a lot of these guys. You have some of the fucking smartest people in the world working on this stuff. And they're working on it because they love it. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is fascinating because people love it. I'm, and I fall for this kind of stuff. That's why we're sitting here on this couch right now. I, 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 I love Bitcoin. I really do. I, I just I love Bitcoin. I think it's fascinating. I think Bitcoin will save the world. I'm probably one of the craziest people you know in Bitcoin. I'm really crazy. Easily, easily. I am. No, I'm, 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 I'm huge. So let's get let's segue this. Like, why were you so pessimistic? Like, how pessimistic of the world were you before Bitcoin, and how like is it literally a one eighty? It's one eighty. Did you think like plague levels, like Mad Max? No, 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 no. Not not exactly. But yes, I I thought we would have I thought we would have financial catastrophe. Mm-hmm. I mean, as close to wanting to be a prepper as could be a prepper, except just really too lazy to be a prepper. Because <laughs> I, I, I like can't, you know, I can't, I can't live in the middle of a cornfield. That's a good definition of me too. But I mean, I, I, I very, very negative because that we, you know, just the constant push the can down the road, not willing to deal with the issues, just the the, the whole nine years. And it's interesting because I look at a lot of the younger people in Bitcoin and. I like them because they're so much like me. What do you mean? <laughs> Except younger. <laughs> what do you but mean? Because I've been this way for a lot of years. But what I want to impress upon these guys is that it's going to happen much faster than they think. Because I've seen it. I've seen what happens. I said to Mark Yusko, I, you know, <clears throat> I remember years ago working on Wall Street and people would say, I've seen this movie before and I know how it comes out. They talk about a stock. And it's interesting because there was a firm, Neuberger Berman, was mostly very old money managers. The founder of the firm, Roy Neuberger, died over 100. There were a lot of very, very, very old money managers there, guys in their 70s and 80s who saw everything. You get better as a money manager as you get older because you've seen so much. You don't know shit when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. You know shit, because you keep seeing the same things over and over again. That doesn't mean you know shit when you're an el- an, uh, older either. But you've seen shit. You've seen so much, and I'm so incredibly optimistic because of Bitcoin. I think people think I'm crazy. I think you're crazy in a good way. I, know I like crazy. They just think I'm crazy. That's why I call people freaks. No, I try to I try to attract the craziness. They think I'm crazy. They're going to understand. I don't think you're crazy, Richard. I know you don't. I think because, you're eccentric. Because you're a Bitcoiner. That's true. And I love Bitcoiners. But I'm serious. What I, wanna con- what I want the younger guys to realize, and there's some guys, 
here's the thing. I, I, in Wall Street, there are always, and I've fallen for this myself, there are guys, I, I subscribe to this newsletter, Elliot Wave. Elliot Wave is a pile of dog shit. The I'm Gartman letter is the only newsletter huh? to subscribe to. Huh? The Gartman letter is the only newsletter to subscribe to. Oh, good God. <laughs> but, but, but no, no. El- Elliot Wave, Robert joke. Prechter. Robert Prechter was the guy. And, and Robert Prechter, you know, his, his forecast for the Dow is it's going to 400. <laughs> the forecast that it's going to 400. What like year is this? 25 years. He's forecasted going to 400 for years that, you know, you're going to go through the greatest of the Great Depressions. Is it at 22,000 right now? I don't know. It's high. Yeah. <laughs> it's higher than that. But he's been, I've been read, I used to read his letter. I finally stopped subscribing because it's like, this is a waste of money. What am I doing? What, subscribing to this for? It's crazy. And these guys have these crazy negative forecasts. And being negative doesn't make you any money. It just doesn't. And we have got an asset which is going to go up. Well, well, let's preface that. There are people that shorted 08 that made Most a lot of money. Mo- no, no, no. You, you can trade things and make money. But we're not, I'm not talking about I'm talking Bitcoin. I'm not talking about stocks. I'm talking something different. Look, I, I didn't think I was negative in 08 and negative going into it, and I didn't think we would be where we are. I thought that we would have gone through a lot of calamity. And, and I still think that the way I see the last um, – 25 plus years is that we've gone from tech media telecom bubble crash into a housing bubble crash into now a sovereign debt bubble this bubble is global sovereign debt bubble global sovereign debt bubble this this bubble is bigger and ultimately potentially more devastating than anything we've been in because sovereign debt essentially is your money in my opinion others disagree with me but in my opinion you know, the 30-year bond is basically the same as the cash in your pocket. The only difference is the cash in your pocket is time zero, and the 30-year bond is time 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all, all the way down on the curve on that. Um, because it may be worth many different things, but you know it'll get paid 100 cents on the dollar. You just don't know what those dollars will buy you 30 years from now. What the hell was I going to say? What was what was I saying? I don't know what you're getting to. I was going to. You're gonna talking about young guys. I I think that I was very negative uh, on all these things. And Bitcoin, in my opinion, people buy these altcoins slash shit coins because they think I'm going to buy this coin. It's trading the 150 million dollar market cap, and I'm going to. It's going to become the next Bitcoin. Here's the thing. I think Bitcoin is going to go up multiple thousands of times what it is now multiple thousands of times from where it is now multiple thousands of times this is a crazy idea and i think the certainty on it is near 100 percent certainty okay near 100 percent certainty well we could have a meteor hit the planet we could have a comet hit the planet we could have nuclear war although nick zabo thinks nuclear war is not a problem what do you mean? He said something at the Israeli uh, blog. I haven't watched that yet. I didn't watch it. I, I'd like to see it. He said something where he said that you know, Bitcoin would survive nuclear war. Oh, Bitcoin would survive a nuclear war. I don't war. know if I survived nuclear war. But no, we wouldn't. <laughs> but Bitcoin might survive nuclear we war. We wouldn't. But um, what outside of these natural disasters would make you bearish on Bitcoin? Like, How can you see Bitcoin? Nothing. 
How can you see Bitcoin failing? Can you see Bitcoin failing? No. No? I can't see it failing. There's no path. Not a single thing. There's not one path. Not a single path. Why not? Because. This is the most bullish person I've met ever. Even I have paths where it's like it could fail. Because it can be fixed. What do you mean? If it breaks, it can be fixed. What breaks? I, I don't know what breaks, but what I'm saying, it can it can be fixed. I think you're alluding to something in the code. Well, I I don't I don't see I I think its nature is such that my biggest worry is apathy. So I don't think it's anything code related. I'm not conc- I'm not concerned about apathy at all. No, no, because because you have people becoming more and more interested in unless I, I have a theory. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this theory out because. I like this theory a lot, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna. He's give, now. I'm gonna give you my. He's he's crossed his legs. He's Indian, Indian style, sitting on the couch. This is an intense conversation. Okay. I'm loving it. Careful about this. Okay, so I have a view that human beings don't become adults until they're approximately 16 years old. I think 16. You think 16 year olds become adults? No, I would no, say. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, to what I'm saying. You you basically are reborn at the age of approximately sixteen. Yeah, I mean quinceañeras, bar mitzvahs. No, 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 no. When you're sixteen years old, you start thinking about the world differently. You now start looking at the world through the eyes as of an, an adult. individual, not like in a, somebody who's dependent on their parents. You, you know what I mean? That you just start looking at the world differently. You you, you start thinking about what am I going to do when I grow up? Exactly. Okay. What am I going to do when I'm not dependent on my parents? Right. What I can do when I grow up? So you start looking at the world differently, and. It doesn't mean you're ready for it, but you start looking at the world differently. So a 16-year-old is basically like a newborn babe as an adult. Mm-hmm. At the age of 20, it's now like they're four years old as an adult. They're not grown up yet, but they're further along. At 24, there's a huge difference between a 24-year-old and a 16-year-old. I would agree. By the time they're 32, they're pretty much an adult. Mm-hmm. Let me give you the mental picture that I kind of see with this, and you'll see what I'm saying. There's a movie, Saving Private Ryan. Great movie. The Tom Hanks character is about 29 or 30 years old, maybe Mm -hmm. 32. He's a captain. The kids who were under him, soldiers are 18, 19, 20. The sergeant's probably 20 to 23. How do they look at him? On a different level, they think of him like he's their dad. Mm-hmm. They're you know he th- he they look up to him. He's he's an adult. They know they're not. Sixteen mm-hmm. year old kids are not adults. They're kids. Yeah, but they're starting to become adults. Bitcoin is like that sixteen year old. Bitcoin became an adult around the time of Segwit. Pre Segwit. <clears throat> Not exactly, but pre-segwit. That makes sense. A lot of like pre-pubescent and pubescent battles that needed to be hashed Pre, out. Pre-segwit, like how pre-segwit, we didn't really know. And I and I'm I'm into Bitcoin post-segwit. Pre-segwit, we didn't really know how Bitcoin was going to scale. Mm-hmm. Post-segwit, we have a pretty good idea how it's going to scale. Not me because I don't know anything, but the really smart people out there, the Adam Backs and Greg Maxwells of the world have a pretty good idea. They're really mm-hmm. the trace mayors too. Uh, the people that are much smarter than me. They have a pretty clear idea of how things are going to work. They have now figured a lot of stuff out. 
and it's a process and they're 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 going on this roadmap that they've figured out now it doesn't mean they're going to get it exactly right but they've got a lot of ideas and an understanding bitcoin became an adult then but more than that nobody knew about bitcoin prior to 2017 i mean people knew about it not really it wasn't people, in the public psyche, like not no, in rap people, songs, not in I, I, I discuss, TV. I think of Bitcoin in terms of mind share. Yeah, exactly. It's like pop culture. So that's what I'm representing, like pop culture. Like it, it wasn't in rap not songs. Not really. People didn't really know My about it. My mom just tagged me in a post on Instagram, uh, a commercial for an HBO show about pot dealers. And they say, hey, I accept Bitcoin now, like in the commercial. My mom was cognizant enough to like reply to that. Right, because she knows about Bitcoin. And she was like, oh my God, because they're mentioning, ah, fuck, they're mentioning Bitcoin. But she wouldn't have in 2013. Even though the price, even though the price in 2013 was $1,100, they didn't know in 2013. The world wasn't paying attention. Bitcoin wasn't yet an adult, didn't really break into the the thought process of the world. That doesn't mean that everybody knows about it. Mm Mm-hmm. But a lot of people know about it. A lot of people have heard about it. A lot of people have ridiculed it and are ridiculing it right now. This is a really big deal and a really big change. They're talking about Bitcoin futures. They're talking about a Bitcoin ETF. Bitcoin was priced at a little above zero in 2010 and 2011. Wake up. Right. Do you realize how short a period of time that is? Right. Do you have any sense of how fast that is? All these guys saying, oh, it's going to take 50 years, 100 years. Oh, my God. We're going in this long death march. No, it's not going to be a long march. It's not going to take freaking forever. If you're waiting 100 years for Bitcoin, it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> right? Bitcoin's dead. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin's going to happen much faster than that. The technology that's being developed is insanely fast. The Lightning Network, when was the paper dropped? 2015? Uh, right around, right before, right when the Ethereum papers were on. 2014, I believe. Okay. I thought it was a little later, but <clears throat> this is 2019. This is four or five years. I don't know when the paper was dropped, but I think 2015 was the date, but I'm not sure. You could be right. I'm looking it up now. I've heard some people say 2016. Yeah, so uh, 2016, yeah. Joseph Poon. I was off by two years. I forget my Bitcoin okay, history. Okay, 2016. Right. This is 2019. Yes. Three. January 14th, 2016. That's three years ago. Yeah. Almost exactly three years ago. Now there's 570 Bitcoin worth of value on the Lightning Network. Well, that's not that critical one way or the other. But the point is there is a Lightning Network and people are working on it. Three years is insanely fast. People have no damn perspective. From concept to product. From a freaking white paper to to having something that's working where you've got people starting to think about and build applications on it. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculously I'm, fast. I, a computer illiterate, a tech illiterate, am building something on Lightning. There you go. So you've got really smart people doing so. This is insanely fast. This is an exponential technology. Exponential technologies, according to Ray Kurzweil, double every year. I'll give you a prediction here. Five years from now, we're going to have a huge number of lightning wallets and nodes out there. I don't know what the number is, but it's going to be like measured in the hundreds of millions, maybe 100 million, maybe more. It's going to be everywhere. When people figure this out, lightning, Bitcoin is going to be a lot more expensive. Bitcoin is stupid cheap here. 3600 is a stupid price for Bitcoin. Bitcoin should be 50000 here or 100000 
It's priced at 3600 People who are selling it here are idiots. They're going to look back at this price having sold it here, and they are going to have the deepest regret. Buy all you freaking can. I don't know if it goes to 1000 or 1100 If it does, it's just freaking stupid because idiots are trying to knock it down. They're, they're really stupid guys. They're, they're actually dumb. Do you think... Um do you think these alt cycles continue? I have no idea. No. Uh, I'm not. It's complicated. People. Or do you think there's like an awakening where it's like, oh, Bitcoin no, is No, it's going it's it's to take time for people to understand that, 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 that this is about money. This is not about This is not about stocks. This is not about companies. You don't own anything when you own a coin. You don't own their revenue stream. I believe what's going to happen, <clears throat> here's what's going to happen in my opinion, I'll, g- I'll give a prediction. As Lightning becomes more advanced, as applications and businesses are built using Lightning, the altcoins will just die. Mm-hmm. They'll just die. People won't want to own them. They're gonna, the investment will be in the investment in new businesses utilizing Lightning and the scaling technologies, the liquids. They're going to have more scaling technologies. <coughs> Smart guys are going to pour money into infrastructure, business infrastructure, and, and 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 businesses on these scaling layers. In the next bull market, don't know when it starts. I think it starts sooner rather than later, but I don't know when. Delphi Digital is calling an April bottom. I I, I have no idea when the bottom is. Mm. I think all these attempts at calling the bottoms is fundamentally dumb. Personally, I think we're probably there. I we could go lower. I keep wanting to buy, but I'm waiting because I don't want to blow capital. If we're going to go to 2000 I don't want to buy. Richard, you're, you're contradicting yourself. No, no, I, I just, I, 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 you have to know who you're in bed with. And, and I'm in bed with a lot of stupid people. There are a lot of stupid people who don't know what the hell they're trading, who don't know what the hell they're doing. I really believe I know what I'm doing. You have to know who the other holders are. And I'm in bed with a lot of freaking stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, I own. I own. I own. Well, what Bitcoin. if those other stupid people you're in bed with have the same exact thought, and that is their rationalization? They don't know what they're talking about. The guys who, who the guys who are selling Bitcoin here have no idea what they're talking about. Have no idea what they're doing. The guys who are advocating shorting Bitcoin here are morons. I'm very negative on these guys. There's something really wrong with these guys. The guys who are advocating selling Bitcoin and, and, and hammering for lower prices are imbeciles. Mm-hmm. They're really stupid guys. They don't understand what's happening with the technology. They don't understand how these things have worked in the last 30 years with the advance of these technologies. We're going to have better and simpler UX. How do I know this? I don't know. Because we've had it time. Because look at your Mac computer. Do you use a Mac? Looking at it. Okay. How easy is this thing to use? Pretty easy. Do you know how hard my PC was to use? No. It was really hard. You had to download code. And it, it, it was it, it had 64K of RAM and 360K <laughs> of floppy drives. <laughs> it was absurdly hard to use. But... You use it nonetheless. It sucked. Yeah. Stuff changes, and it changes much faster than you think it's going to change. And people, they don't have perspective. I have a lot of perspective because... I'm a really old guy with gray hairs. Well, that's why I wanted to bring you on, Richard, because I think I've been trying. I was trying to think about this during the last pee break, but I think you are the oldest guest on Tales from the Crypt. So, here's to that. And I am somebody who seeks out wisdom, and I do think that uh, the wisdom of of an older generation is somewhat uh, thrown to the wayside by kids my age. 
I don't my old, my generation thinks I'm nuts, but I don't care because well, wisdom doesn't wisdom is about experience, not about what other people perceive. I tell my kid actually I, I tweeted this. I gotta find the tweet that I had, but I tell my kid the most important thing to do is pay attention. Just pay attention. There's so much in life you can learn simply by paying attention. And she's 21. And she's very smart. She does pay attention. She's very smart. Bitcoin is just so obvious. I can't help it. It's just, I look at it and it's just so obvious to me what this is. And, to me too. And, and it's going to go to levels that people can't imagine. And people are going to end up... I do think it's okay to trade a little bit. Here, here's, how I, here's how I think about trading. I think people are trading wrong. You've got to be able to trade, number one. No, 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 no. no, no Don't I, just I, try I to start trading. I have a view on this. So let's assume... I'm Mostly what I do is I... Before this traded stocks, now I own Bitcoin. You're going to want to peel some off. You're going to want to peel some off at some extreme levels. Guys who sold at 20000 were certainly smart to do that. In my opinion, on extreme moves, if you peel off 10 to 15%, that's a reasonable thing to do. You don't worry about selling that. You want to be able to carry your expenses if you're working you've got an income maybe you make that less peel a little bit off so that in the next bear market you can be a buyer how deep the next bear market goes i have no idea see that's something i'm worried about like i think about that often but i, I don't think i'd have the uh patience and uh mental fortitude to not spend that money on the sideline you don't have to spend it you no, hold. you don't have to, but I would want to. No, you wouldn't. No? No. You can you can you can hold on to it and, and, and look to buy more. You're gonna have to pay taxes on it. Yeah. That's another thing to worry about. That's yeah, why. Oh by the way, that, that that's why I think the market crashed as hard as it did. And I don't think people really understand this. I have thought about this a lot, actually. All right, jump into it. In twenty seventeen, the market started the year, what was the price? Nine hundred, a thousand? It was below two thousand, it was like sixteen hundred. Yeah. No, started the year 2017 around 900 with thousand. Like dipped down and then went back up, right? I'm calling it January 1st. Mm-hmm. I, I I think somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I think it started approximately a thousand plus or minus whatever. Went to twenty thousand, and along the way, people probably sold some to buy altcoins. I remember sitting in a restaurant talking to somebody whose son was really nervous about their taxes because they traded like crazy. So if you bought Bitcoin at a thousand, and you <clears throat> sold it at fifteen thousand to go buy whatever altcoin, you now had a taxable event. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought they didn't have a taxable event, and they thought that unless they went to cash, whether that be dollars or whatever, that they didn't have a taxable event, and that's wrong. They learned that they did have a taxable event. And I think a lot of cash came out. We know from an example, a prime example, this is the Peter McCormick story. By the way, I love Peter McCormick's podcast. I'm a huge fan of Peter McCormick. Shout out, Peter. But he started with 30-some-odd thousand dollars, went to some... 1.2 mil. And then went down to 30-some-odd thousand dollars again, getting killed on taxes and getting killed on prices. 
I think his story is a typical story. I think there are a lot of people like Peter McCormick. Mm-hmm. And I was glad that he told us that because it helped me have a tangible data point on what I believe to be so. So I think the crash from six to 3,000 was probably, although they're not necessarily, maybe miners closing down, having to liquidate and liquidate some of their Bitcoin. It's funny, you know, we crashed from 6,000 to 3,000. This is like November, right? Yeah, something like that. It crashed from 6,000 to 3,000, and it looked like a forced liquidation. Kind of that's what capitulation is, forced liquidation. In the stock market, capitulation is the margin clerk tells you, you got to sell. Actually, they don't tell you you got to sell. What they do is they tell you, you got to put up more, you got to put up more cash or we're selling you out. Margin clerks are very sloppy sellers. They don't actually care what price they get because it's not their money. And, and they don't and they, they don't care. Yeah. Didn't you work on Wall Street for a little while? Uh Chicago Board of Trade. So I'm trying to think of How much do margin clerks care if they sell you out? Not at all. They don't care. Especially if you're trading futures. They don't care. No. They sell you out. They don't have they don't have the ability to care. I mean, they, you they get don't called, care. you're done. They don't care, you're done. So if <clears throat> this looked like classic liquidation for whatever reason. People had to sell, so they sold. They sold the crap out of it. They looked at this market and they said, Oh, that doesn't look like capitulation to me. <laughs> what are you talking about? What does capitulation what do you think capitulation looks like? Right? That's kind of what capitulation looks like. The the market puked by fifty percent in like a Three days. <laughs> what do you think capitulation looks like? Richard, we're looking for final capitulation. Final capitulation. What is the final capitulation? This is also a, a little bit of nonsense. I looked at some numbers the other day, this, and I don't know if this is right. Somebody please check me on this. Trading view. By the way, I think you look, or mo- you're mostly looking at Coinbase when you're looking at trading view, but although not necessarily. I don't know how they get their numbers, but Bitcoin averages looks like they have different numbers. And... When I look at the secondary low, the volume was actually lower in Bitcoin averages than it was on uh, TradingView. Somebody had posted something that looked like the spikes were really huge. So we may be working on data. There are people maybe looking at this stuff, looking at data that may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Nobody's questioning the data. They're just taking it at face value. Right. Well, I don't know if it's right or if it's wrong. But people aren't looking at the data. If you're going to rely on data for your decision... You better well, damn well be sure the data's right. Right. If you're making a decision on it, don't you want to know if it's right? You're just going to guess? You're going you're gonna to say, I'm making a decision on this thing and the data's wrong? Don't you want to ask? Right. Shouldn't, you, shouldn't you ask that question? Yeah. Isn't that what a good analyst would do? Yeah. Yeah. I would assume. I'm happy I'm not in an analyst game. I'm happy we don't, I don't have to dive into any of this. People are sloppy. People are really sloppy. What do you think? I'm, I'm drunk now. We've been drinking. Richard gifted me. Uh, gifted Tales from the Crypt with uh, some Angel's Envy. Very good whiskey. We're about halfway through this bottle. Bourbon. Bourbon. Bourbon whiskey. This is bourbon. No, yeah. it's, not, no it's bourbon. It's, the, it's from Kentucky. They're synonymous to me. Not if you're from Kentucky. I'm not from Kentucky. Neither am I. Uh, I'm from Philly where we get the Philly special, <laughs> which is $5 for PBR and a shot of Jack Daniels. I know Philadelphia. <laughs> I like Philadelphia. It's a good town. It's a great town. It's a great it's where town. Where America was born. Philadelphia is a great town. Bastion of freedom. The main line's a great place. Main line, yes. Main the gra- line is uh the, the Great Northeast. I was born in the Great Northeast. The Great Northeast. Yes. I went to college in Philadelphia and Shh. I remember hearing about the Great Northeast and I always thought that sound. You went to a place, there was a place called I was born, was shout out Frankfurt. 
FKD baby. I've heard of Frankfurt. There was there was a place. There was some diner in the Great Northeast. Uh, Robin's Diner. I think I don't know what it was called. I think it was Robin's Diner. I know it exactly. There was, some, there was some right diner. across the street from Tony's Pizza. I know exactly what you're I've, talking about. I have no idea, but people would always call the Great Northeast, and I always had to laugh. But Philadelphia is a great town. I love Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is an awesome place, and I really love it. I think Philadelphia is a great town. Thank you for flattering me. I do, too. I think it's a very underrated. Phillies have, obviously, historically you could, you could, got the underdog. You could live You could live very very nicely in Philadelphia on, on much less money than living in the suburbs of New York. You could live in Philadelphia and work in New York. You could. If it's you wanted long, to. It's a long commute. It's a commute, but... But Philadelphia is a really nice town. I have nothing but nice things to say about Philadelphia. But um, I have no idea what I was going to say now. What was I saying? <sighs> we were talking about... Um, talking about the... Looking at Bitcoin average versus uh, versus oh yeah yeah we're bad bad data bad data. Make sure you have good data. Make sure well people don't necessarily check the data that they're looking at, and they need to check the data because the data really matters. And the problem if you don't check your underlying assumptions on the argument you're making, then the argument you're making may be bad. And it's always critical to check what those underlying assumptions are. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to check your underlying assumptions. But it's really necessary. And a lot of people just don't do that. And I think that... Well... We, where, where do we come into this topic? Richard, I, I let's be fair. Point. Richard, let's be fair. Can that be extrapolated to you not understanding the code? What do you is mean? that is that sni- like is that like a parallel type of line of thinking? Like the, you you don't know for sure that the code does what you assume it was because you can't know it. And these traders looking at this price data, though they might not know it's they might not know it's uh, accurate. Is that is that similar? Am I right? I'm not sure if it is, but I do think that <coughs> first time I've ever seen Richard spe- speechless. No, I'm just thinking. I like this. I like thinking, Richard. Literally, never heard him speechless. What's happening with the code? is I may not be able to understand it or read it, but there are other people who are looking at it and trying to pick it apart and trying to understand it and read it. And so it would be better if I could do it myself, Mm -hmm. but I know there are people who are much better at this than I am, who are much smarter at this than I am, who are looking at it and who are picking it apart and are trying to understand it. And I'm not sure that's the case when it comes to people looking at things like this. If I compared one service to another and found something that looked like a discrepancy, then maybe it's just a simple, obvious discrepancy. And I don't know if people are looking at it or thinking about it. And I think that fundamentally... People have a very hard time imagining the world could be a different place than it is. 
it's really hard to imagine that and I, I think it takes 15 to 30 years. It could happen in less time. I think this happens really fast. I think that <clears throat> people wake up to this. They start to see what this technology can do. And when, when smart investors wake up to something, they just want to own it. And they start bidding it up. And there's just not that much of it. Trace Mayer gave the example at a much higher price that <coughs> if you took ultra-high net worth investors, individuals, that's with $30 million or more of investable assets, that's approximately 220,000 people. And at this point, at this point, that's about 50 basis points to buy up all the available Bitcoin. He estimated 10 million Bitcoin that could be purchased. You're talking about only owning 44 Bitcoin. At some point, you're going to have a situation where people you didn't expect to buy are going to be buyers. <sighs> and supply is going to dry up. And sellers are going to turn from sellers to not being sellers and may even turn to being buyers. And this market's going to change and reverse and the character of it's going to look different. I think a lot of people have a hard time imagining this changing and have a hard time. I, I, I think the idea that it has to follow a script of a prior bear market is an absurd proposition. In yeah, and I think especially like the, the proposition that future bear markets are going to be prolonged is stupid too. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you look at the stock market over the last 100 plus years, Market after market looks different. Different things happen. Maybe they say, oh, well, it's not the same, but it rhymes. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you've got to be really careful about trying to make predictions. I've, I've done this. This has been a mistake I've made myself. <clears throat> I have looked at markets, and I've made certain assumptions, and I thought things were going to work out a certain way, and they didn't work out that way. And I thought I was very erudite and very... You know, looking at this has got to happen this way for these reasons. And look, I could be making the same mistake about Bitcoin. But the interesting thing is that you've got people working on this thing who are just incredibly smart. And Bitcoin in some ways, the only thing that's really locked into place is the social consensus. So we have a social consensus about Bitcoin. I won't even say it's locked into place yet. Yeah, it's pretty locked into 21 place. 21 million cap. Well, I, that, no, what I, what I mean by that is we have certain ideas about Bitcoin. And one guy said to me, who I like, but I didn't like when I heard this, said, oh, we should consider, he, he was tweeting it, we should consider recycling lost coins. Just call us out. Hasu said this. I think it's a terrible idea, recycling lost coins. It's a terrible idea. Lost coin, lost private keys should stay lost. I agree. I don't think we should recycle anything. Recycling lost coins is an incredibly stupid idea. You've got to be very careful of trying to tamper with the underlying core of, of, of what this thing is. This actually is a perfect segue. Like we were talking about before the podcast, when I asked you from the bathroom, like, do you think Bitcoin's 
inception and subsequent proliferation is a serendipitous event that can be replicated. Serendipity is my word of the week. I like serendipity. There was a restaurant in New York called Serendipity. Did you know that? No. They served things like frozen hot chocolates. It's called Serendipity 3. Frozen hot chocolates. Yeah. They Are had they hot or cold? Cr- crazy desserts. Are they cold. Hot or cold? It was cold. Cho- it was frozen hot chocolate. It was cold. They had frozen desserts. And they, they, had, they, they had all kinds of desserts. They cra- they was, it was a restaurant. It was uh, phenomenal. Great. Very fattening. You gain 10 pounds just walking in the door. <laughs> all right. Enough about this restaurant serendipity. Do you think Bitcoin was a moment of serendipity that can be repeated? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. I doubt it, but I don't know. I'm going to be more bullish than you in this one instance. I'm going to say I don't think it can be repeated. I don't think it ever well, will be. Well, when, when I don't know what you mean by that, so it's it's hard for me to be 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 more explicit. Do, so do you think in all, your terms So do you more. think something could overtake Bitcoin another digital currency at some point in the future with better features? I think Bitcoin uh is very much under the mentality of of uh, something that's something that's not perfect but works. What's the what's the th- uh, saying I'm thinking of? Less perfect. It's not like when you launch a product, you want. Here, here's the thing about Bitcoin. But uh, let me finish. Let me finish. Go ahead. So, like, given the fact that Bitcoin may not, like, the technology may not be the ideal may not uh, utilize the ideal sort of... It doesn't have the ideal transaction throughput. The ideal thing is very clunky and stuff like that. Despite that, like even though all coins may be more fungible, may have faster transactions per second or more transactions per second, excuse me, uh, I think they're trying to create serendipity where Bitcoin was created in a moment and it was it's literally like a flash in a pan that cannot be replicated even if there's quote-unquote better technology like bolted onto uh, another protocol the beauty about bitcoin in my opinion is that <clears throat> andreas antonopoulos talks about the trilemma and the problem with the trilemma is that you can have two out of three things that are really great and the third thing is going to suck mm-hmm the solution to that, from the way I understand it with Bitcoin, is that the solution is on a scaling layer. And so, what happens with Bitcoin is Bitcoin can take from things that other people have come up with, ideas and creativity that may not be <coughs> currently on Bitcoin, and fold it into Bitcoin, whether it be at the protocol level or on a scaling layer level. And this is one of the things that makes me as bullish as I am on Bitcoin. Because these ideas and solutions can find their way into Bitcoin. When I say Bitcoin, I mean Bitcoin as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the base protocol. I assume Lightning is not going to be the last scaling layer. I mean, we have... There's already a third layer. What's the third layer? I mean, there's 
people. You have you have elements. You have you have liquid net. You have liquid. That's the second layer. Um, but third layer in the sense that uh, like people like third layer applications being built where people are building apps on top of it. The li- lightning. I don't know. I, I I don't know where things are headed. But the interesting thing about this is. Here, here's one of the things that makes me really just incredibly bullish about this. You're incredibly bullish? No. I'm incredibly bullish. I, I look at guys like Adam Back and the team working on teams working on this stuff and, and I just pick him him as a name. These people understand how the internet was built. They understand what the flaws in the internet are. And they're trying to build something which corrects for some of those flaws. And they have both a knowledge, a depth and breadth of understanding, which is just spectacular. And they're open-minded to certain ideas. They're closed-minded to other ideas. They believe it needs to follow a social consensus. <coughs> and ideas will be fought out in Bitcoin, like the UASF was fought out. It's not going to be perfect. It's not a, there's no such thing as perfection. But the process that exists in Bitcoin is amazing. And so... What do you mean by Amazing. Why is it amazing? It's amazing because you've got people who are both smart and open-minded and it is... I don't even understand why it's amazing. It, it, I, I look at it and I am... I'm just blown away by the number of people in this space who are so incredibly smart much smarter than me on so many things. You're too humble, Richard. No, I'm smart about a few things. But these people are really smart. You know, I look at I look at devs who didn't know anything about economics. And they know so much. They've learned so much. Their mind, they're so curious. And they work so hard at trying to understand things. I'm a dilettante. I don't know shit. I figure stuff out. But no, I'm serious. I'm a lazy reader. I'm, I'm very lazy in a lot Richard, of ways. Richard, I'm in the same boat. Huh? That's why I have this podcast, so I can get the smart people drunk to come explain <laughs> this shit to me. No, but they're, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm blown away by these people that are so smart, and it's software. It can be changed, and there's a community out there of people who have a view on how things need to be. That's the social consensus. There's something very powerful about that. And there's a level of flexibility. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I can explain it. No, I, I agree. I agree. There's, it's, just, it's just like something innately that you feel. It's like, as a Bitcoiner, uh, I don't want to be pontificating about being a Bitcoiner, but like, I just innate, like we were discussing before the call, like before the interview, like sitting in my cube... Richard just broke his shoe. We're getting too drunk here. Um, I got an extra pair for you. But uh, there's just something innate about it. Like, I, w- I remember sitting in a cube in 2013 
just being like, I need to focus on this. There's something about it. Like there's, it's almost like the ring from Lord of the Rings. Like there's just some allure to it. And it's just like, I, again, like, again, I'm a street smart kid from North Philly, Northeast Philly, from the great Northeast. And there's just something about like the innateness of my perceived street smartness that like Bitcoin has set off like an alarm in my mind, like pay attention this is going to happen. Like something. Is Common sense is really underrated. There are a lot of people who. There are people who come to this country, who. Come with nothing. They have, a drive. They have innate intelligence. They don't have a lot of, schooling necessarily, and particularly years ago. They achieved tremendous success. They have an ability to understand things. There is a native intelligence. There's something magical about Bitcoin. There's something very special about the group of people involved with it. I'm I'm very impressed with this community. I'm very impressed with the people. I love I love Bitcoin Twitter. I don't want to say crypto Twitter. Mm-hmm. I love Bitcoin Twitter. I think there's so many guys who are so smart. Look, I'm an old man, but there are a lot of young guys who I look at, and I'm, I think they're really, really, really smart guys. It gives me so much optimism for the future. I love guys like you, Marty, and there are other guys uh, in the space. They're really smart. They're, I respect them so much. There's so many people in this space who are so smart, who have really great understanding. Many people older and younger than me, much smarter than me. And it gives me so much hope for the future. It gives me so much positivity. Um, I just think that Bill Burden posted something. He said, well, if Bitcoin fails, then he's just going to go out about his business and everything's going to be fine. I said, Bitcoins are going to come the one and only money. I, mean, I, guess if, I guess if a comet hits the planet or a meteor hits the planet, then you have to worry about that. It won't really matter what, it, what happens to you. It, it's, it, it seems so obvious to me. I, I can just see it. I don't know why I can see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just a freaking fool. It just looks ridiculously yeah. obvious to me setting and off these alarm bells in my mind like pay attention this is going to happen i think it's i think it's a sure thing because they're really smart people who manage to figure out answers and solutions when they can't figure something i listen to some of these podcasts and youtubes i listen to guys like bit connor like rosa beef they run into an issue i hear them talking and oh my God, I don't understand what Rosa Beef is saying. He's, Nobody can. He talks too fucking fast. <laughs> he's talking <laughs> so fast. This man is so much smarter than I am. It's insane. And I love this guy. He's brilliant. I can't understand a word the man's saying. He's. He, I gotta listen to him like at quarter speed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I can't. I I don't understand what he's saying. He's so much smarter than I am. And Bit Connor, too. These guys are incredible. They're going to find answers and solutions because they're not going to stop until they do. Mm-hmm. And 
And that's amazing. And Bitcoin is software. And they're going to figure out answers. And if the answer isn't, you know, if it isn't going around the mountain, they're going to cut a hole through the mountain. They're going to find an answer to this, whatever it is, because they have drive, they have brains, they have curiosity. And there are so many people like this who are so freaking smart. And if it's not them, it'll be somebody else. Because this is an amazing project. And it has a phenomenal idea and philosophy behind it. It's, it's a very optimistic view of the future for humanity. It's going to take humanity to places that we can't imagine. So many people have such a negative outlook on where things are going to be and how things are going to happen. And Bitcoin is such an optimistic future. I always loved Star Trek as a kid. I was never a Star Wars fan. Star Wars is such a dark future. Star Trek was such an optimistic view of the future. Bitcoin is such an optimistic view of the future because every individual is important. Every human life is important. That doesn't mean that you know there aren't times that people have to make hard decisions. But in Judaism, they say that if you save one life, you've saved the world. Because as, 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 as one person, you may not be able to save more than one life. And you don't know what that person is going to be, what their progeny is going to be. You may very well have saved the world by saving one life. The people in Bitcoin are amazing people. And some of them have been in it a long time, so they, they grow cynical because they think they've been it so long. They go through these hard bear markets. And maybe if I'd gone through so many of these, look, I don't love this bear market. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> it, it, it sucks when, you know, you watch, you know, when you watch the, you know, Bitcoin go from 20,000 to 3,600 lower. And it may go lower yet. It's not fun. But it provides an optimistic future. It's so optimistic. It's so amazing. I love Bitcoin. And I think that it's going to change humanity. It's going to change the opportunities that we have because, you know, it enables... Money is helps enable social scaling. Nick Szabo understands that and understood that and tried to convey it to people through the things that he's done, the things that he's written. And Bitcoin, because of what it is, is going to open up an opportunity for human social scaling. We as a, we as a species, we mean nothing as an individual. I can accomplish nothing. You can accomplish nothing as one human being. You can do nothing. You're worthless as a single individual human being. Ouch. But together, and so am I, together as a group doing things, being able to scale socially, we accomplish so much. The opportunity is limitless. And Bitcoin, money enables social scaling. And Bitcoin, because of what it is, enables money to scale Social, so socially scale, I don't know if I'm using this term the right way, 
in, in ways that we could never do before. I believe that the Chinese will ultimately adopt and embrace and, and, and be comfortable with Bitcoin, as will the Russians, as will many other people. The Chinese will wake up one day and they will say, my God, what's the big deal about Bitcoin? If people in China buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin, but they stay in China and they keep their money here, that's not capital flight. Their money is there because they're there and they're going to spend their money there. People are going to wake up to things that they hadn't thought of before. They're going to start to understand things. People are going to change the way they see things and change the way they understand things. And it's really amazing. It's really positive. It's a, it's a hugely optimistic view for humanity. And it's a really big deal, and it may be, it may be the biggest invention of, I don't know how many years. It's it's a really big deal. I would argue millennia. I don't know, but it's a really big deal, and more and more people will come to understand it, little by little. They'll adopt because of price. People love to make money. It's not like gold. Gold needs the world to come to an end, to be successful. Bitcoin doesn't. Bitcoin can win because people, it it appeals to human nature. Mm-hmm. People love to make money. People love to get rich. And people will adopt Bitcoin simply because they want to make money. Now, it may be crazy, but that's why they will buy Bitcoin. They will hold Bitcoin. They may sell it because they don't understand it. But the world doesn't have to come to an end for Bitcoin to win. And because of what Bitcoin is, and we didn't really go into this in, in, in enough detail, but because of what Bitcoin is, Bitcoin will win. We've, uh, got, an, we've got another three hours to kill, so. <laughs> 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 I'll do this on another show. Right. No, but I can go on forever. I know you can. And that, I think this is actually a great place to end. Bitcoin as optimists. Optimistic I'm very future. optimistic. I'm very optimistic. I'm, well, I'm happy you are. As somebody as a young person trying to look up to somebody who's experienced some things, I'm happy that you're optimistic because I was pessimistic as well. I was a senior in high school. You've heard this story. I was a senior in high school in 08. Like, how can the world be this bad? And luckily found Bitcoin. And I agree. I agree. I believe it produces an optimistic view of the future that many people will see it as pessimistic, but I do think it's truly optimistic in, in many facets. So sound money uh incentivizes the the proliferation and uh innovation of greener energies no it's simple it, it does it does proliferate but it's simpler than that people need to trust their money average people don't necessarily want to own stocks because you know everybody's celebrating john bogle and all the great things that john bogle did but at the end of the day stocks are not money The interesting thing about money is that money is so core to being human and and we think we understand it and yet we don't. And yet we don't really trust the money that we have. We know that the money that we have is dishonest. And yet we rely on it for everything. If I buy a stock, I have to be hopeful that I'm right about the stock, that I've done good research, that I understand where the business is going. I have to understand 
all the various things that I have to understand about the way a company is run. Are the people honest? Is the accounting good? Do they have a good share of their industry? Money isn't about that. Money is about, I've worked, I've put in time, I've put in effort, I, I, I went to my job. I put in hours. I labored for some period of time. And they paid me for that labor. And then I put my labor into money. And I hope that that money is good. And everybody knows that the money they have isn't good. It's bad. The money they have is going to become worth less. They're gonna, it's going to steal from them every day. It's going to be used by somebody else because their money isn't good. I put in my time and my effort and my labor, and it's stolen from me. How does that make people feel? That's a terrible thing. You have to have money that doesn't steal from you. You have to have money that retains its value. You shouldn't have to seek out value somewhere else because the money you have isn't any good. And you seek it in poorer answers to it. Stocks is a stocks are a poor answer to a good money. People would put less money into stocks if they thought their money was any good, or real estate, or art, or whatever. Your money should be retain its value. And and people understand this and they know this. And Bitcoin is going to win. We're in a very early stage, and a lot of people don't understand this. And they look at it through the lens of equities. And they didn't understand equities that many years ago. Equities became a cult in the 90s with the stock market going up, and people thought they knew a lot about it. People know much less about stocks than they think they know anyway. Um, People know much less about investing than they think they know also. A lot of people think they know a lot of stuff. They know much less than they think they know because they don't test the underlying assumptions. Uh, They're arrogant. But in time, Bitcoin is going to be good money, which is going to give you Honest money. Honest money. It's going to give you a foundation. You'll invest in other things. In in a Bitcoin world, you will invest in other things. You won't just hold money. You will invest in businesses. But you won't have to invest in businesses because your money is becoming devalued every single day. And so you'll think about things differently. Money is core to humanity. Nick Szabo understands this. Read those two papers. It's critical that you read them and you need to understand them. Because you can't understand Bitcoin. You can't understand what's wrong with things until you understand where we came from and why we're here. And it's not, you know, look, it's not the only thing you have to know. But it's a great starting place. Definitely. Great starting place. And I think this is a great ending place for this episode. It's been a pleasurable, where are we at now? Two hours, 45 minutes, minus the pee break. It's been fun. I hope you had a good time. Put the mic to your face. I had a great time. This is, uh, has been a long time coming. I think I think the freaks are going to love By this. By the way, episode. I love Marty. Mar- Marty, Mar- Marty. Marty is absolutely one of my favorite. I have several favorite pods, and Marty is, is in there. I love Marty. Marty has great pods. Marty has great guests. I don't know if I'm one of them, but <laughs> Marty has great guests. You are certainly Marty one has, of them. Marty has really smart guests, and I, as, I don't know if I'm one of them, but um, I love Marty. I'm 
very, you know, I'm very pleased and I'm very optimistic. I love Richard. I love this conversation. I thought it was fun. It was it great. It was fun. It was great. And this is the first of many. As you freaks can tell, Richard is long-winded. He can go on. We can talk about whatever forever. <laughs> so this is the first of many episodes. By the way, I love Matt Odell. I do too. I really love Matt Odell. I picked him up as a co-host. You got a shout out to Matt Odell. Shout I'm, out I'm Matt. A, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan of Matt Odell. Matt's sleeping in Hong Kong right now. What the hell is he doing in Hong Kong? You'll hear about it, and I'm about to post. I am so I'm I I am really bullish on Matt Odell. I love Matt Odell. He think he's great. I've been uh, I've been a Matt, o- Matt Odell hodler for a while. Send him, him, send him my best. I'm sure he'll hear this and he'll get it. Matt, we're sending our best to you. Uh, I I love Matt Odell. I'm a huge fan. Do you have a parting note for the freaks? Don't don't be foolish about Bitcoin. I don't know if we go lower. I really don't know. Nobody knows. Don't listen to guys because you think they sound smart and you think they sound erudite and they tell you this case. Bears, or, Jim Cramer says this. Jim Cramer is really right about this, actually. He's not right about many things, but... Huh? He's not right about many things. Jim Cramer is actually really fucking smart. It took me a long time to figure that. I, I was always a Jim Cramer fan. I bought a book called The Triumph of the Optimists. Mm-hmm. The really big money, it took me a really long time. I was a bear for years. I'm a natural bear. I love to be bearish. I love to get short. I'm a natural bear. I, I mean, I was negative on, I was negative on so many things. It, it kept me from making a lot of money being a bear. Bears sound smart. They're erudite. They, they sound like, oh, we've got this really good case. We've really thought this out. You know who makes the really big money? The bulls. Big, big, big money Getting rich kind of money is made in bull markets, not bear markets. You don't get rich in bear markets. You get rich in bull markets. I used to think you got rich in bear markets. That's bullshit. You don't get rich in bear markets. Bear markets will usually rip your guts out. And you usually lose. If you think you've made it, at some point you're going to have a lot of it taken away from you in a bear market because you thought you were smart and you did something and you put on a position and you lost what you had. Bull markets are really what make you big money. In bull markets, you make multiples of your money. I think Bitcoin will go to levels that are unimaginable. We're going to get to 20,000. How long it takes to get there, I don't know. But the cognitive dissonance associated with getting to 20,000 will be staggering. Many people who thought Bitcoin was garbage because they were told by Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett, Nuril Robini, whoever it is, that Bitcoin was garbage, Bitcoin was trash, Bitcoin was a bubble, Bitcoin was a scam, Bitcoin was tulips, Bitcoin was whatever. They're going to look at 20,000 and they're going to say to themselves, oh my God, look, Fidelity is selling Bitcoin and New York Stock Exchange through Iceback is selling Bitcoin and this company and that company and Goldman Sachs is in it with Poloniex and they say, wait a minute, Bitcoin's at 20,000. Why'd they tell us it was a scam? Oh, Wall Street told it was a fraud so they could buy it cheap and we'd sell our Bitcoin. I get it. I understand. They lied to us again. And then they're going to buy the crap out of it. And Bitcoin's going to go from 20000 to 100000 in like a year or maybe less. Be aware, freaks. In some stupid short period of time. I could be off. Maybe it's 15 months. But it's going to go up to numbers that you can't imagine. Because... People are going to say, what the hell is wrong with this? Cognitive dissonance is powerful. 
and we're going to get up there, and, and that's what's going to happen. That doesn't mean we get it up there to 20000 and immediately goes to 100 It's not going to do that. It's going to test. It's going to do whatever markets do. It'll sell off. But then it's going to start making its way to 30 and it's going to go up to 100 in relatively short order. Some guy told me, this is what I want to tell you. Some guy told me, do you realize that past the halving at 900 Bitcoin a day, it would take $42 million in a year to support Bitcoin at $130,000? $42 inflows a day? Is that what you're trying to say? Hmm? No, $42 million in the year. There's new issuance of Bitcoin. A Bitcoin at $130,000 requires $42 billion. Oh, I think it's a million. $42 billion. Okay. Every year, new issuance of gold is approximately 3,000 metric tons. It's approximately 105 million ounces. The number's worked out to about 130-some-odd billion dollars at a price of like 1,200 and something, 1,250, wherever it is. So basically to get to $130,000 with new Bitcoin per day would be $42 billion of new money coming in. Oh, okay. Gold is already there at $130 plus billion and going higher. So Bitcoin could go to 3x of that or nearly $400,000 at $132 billion of new Bitcoin. And by the way, that's only going to be for four years. And then it's going to get cut in half because gold is adding 1.6-ish percent, 2% every year. So think about what you're listening to when you hear people talk to you. Look at the numbers. Run the numbers. Think about it. Don't just take something at face value. Don't just think because somebody sounds bearish that they sound really smart. Question it. Think about it. Question what I'm saying. Look, I, I don't mind. You know, it's better to understand what your underlying assumptions are. Always test them. Always question them. Always try to figure that out because it's in a debate. If you're debating somebody, it's those underlying assumptions that are critical. And that's how you're going to win a debate. The way you win a debate is you pin somebody down on their underlying assumptions. And you know you've won when they change the topic on you because they're trying to squirm out and they've lost, but they don't want to actually admit that they've lost the debate. Sorry, and so they're going <laughs> to change the, They change the topic. I really hate that. It's really stupid. Test underlying assumptions. And it's hard. It's really hard to figure them out sometimes because we have things that are so built into the way we look at the world that we don't understand what our own underlying assumptions are. But until you look at what your underlying assumptions are, you're not going to understand the conclusions you draw. And so you always have to test those and, and, and question those. Anyway, that's enough lecturing for the day. So I'm done. Is that Thank it? Thank you, Marty. Is that it? Oh, that's it. That's enough. Until next time. That was a fun time. It was great. I love you, Marty. I love you too, Richard. It's been a fun, you're fun awesome. three hours. This is the longest podcast. You're the oldest, oldest guest, longest <laughs> podcast. We're setting a lot of records here today. I I think I spoke for like two minutes total out of three hours. So you guys are getting a lot of Richard this episode. I am ecstatic for it because Too much Richard. he is one of my favorite Bitcoiners in the world. Uh, we actually have to take a picture. We have to take a selfie. My wife wants a selfie. She's a big fan of Bitcoin Tina. She uh, we need to do this to send it to her. She she wants to she wants to know that we met and and conversed. Uh, 
Thank you. We have to have proof of proof of conversation via photo. Proof of conversation. Um, That's really cool. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Do you know some guy flattered me and said they said they've been hodling for years and and they heard me on something and they said, "Oh my god, I've like totally rethought this." And like, I feel so good about holding Bitcoin now. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, this guy made me feel so happy." Well, you make me feel happy, Richard. Your bullishness, your optimism makes me optimistic. And it's good to see as somebody who's constantly questioning uh, whether or not I'm naive. Uh, somebody uh, who's been through the ringer, who's, who's seen some shit, to, to sort of push back and say, hey, you might not be naive. So, Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming down from I love your pod. the middle of Georgia. Uh, fascinating that you, that you made this drive. I'm flattered. And uh, that's it. That's all we got this week, freaks. We just, we just crushed like half a bottle of Angel's Envy. I'm slurring my words. We're headed to uh, the Bitcoin Magazine SLS Happy Hour. You're coming. I didn't tell you this, but you're coming. I'm coming. All right. We'll see you freaks next week. Peace and love.